We who are about to die salute you. Life after wartime, how will we survive it? Welcome, everyone, to episode 27 of Moratorium Mondays. We're going to be talking about the first issue post-Hordian War. And, uh, of course, it's uh, Chris and uh, the other Chris here. And you can you can put us in any order you want. Uh, we are here to discuss uh, Strike Force Moratorium number 27, cover dated March 1989. And uh, how are you doing this week, Chris? Well, I'm about to make myself the bane of the internet with one of my controversial opinions. Are you ready? Hot take, hot take. Hot take, brother. So I took my uh, my oldest son to mm-hmm. a particular movie this okay. weekend. And this movie was not getting great reviews. I would say it would almost get lambasted in the mm-hmm. uh, on the old Rotten Tomatoes and overall. And I'm sure Mark Radlich and his gang is uh, all ready to skewer this film. Mm-hmm. It was New Mutants from okay. Marvel. And uh, it's not getting great reviews. So uh, myself and my son went through all the reviews and, you know, we read everything that we heard about the movie, that it was bar trash and, you know, one of the worst things ever. And uh, and even to get ready for the movie, I even uh, reread Demon Bear, the saga. Okay. And I enjoyed that. And I I have an admission. So I do have one admission. This is a good one, followed by a, a, a left hook. You ready for this? Hit me. Bill Sienkiewicz's art was not bad. I I, I think you uh, I think you I, st- I stuttered. <laughs> yeah, um, because uh, has, you know someone, you know someone, I think that that's excellent in there. So uh, <laughs> someone a, uh, someone has a gun to my head right now as I'm saying this, <laughs> uh, because as a kid I thought that was the worst thing in the world. But uh, adult me seems to have a refined palate. There and, you go. Uh, I I did enjoy not only the New Mutants. Uh, the, the actual book, the Demon Bear Saga, but I also enjoyed the movie. How about that? Mm-hmm. I won't give a full detailed review, but what I will say is that if you are a fan of that particular series, it has not, it's not badly reflected on screen. So there you go. Now, there, there, I, I will say this. I will give one very harsh criticism. Uh, this is one movie that the, uh, the dialect and the, um, I would say how people speak is mm-hmm. is uh, is definitely off off track here like really really mm-hmm. bad some okay. of the uh, some people are british and they sound uh, they they linger in be- between uh british and english and then you have some guy who all of a sudden takes on a southern accent and it is really really strange but uh <laughs> outside of that if you're a demon bear saga fan uh give it a roll i will say this though if sure. you're a regular marvel movie watcher and that's all you know, and you have not read a Marvel comic, but you really love their cinematic offerings. And what are I you doing run, listening to this show? Yeah, I would run <laughs> far away from that movie. Like, I would run, like, acres and miles and yards away <laughs> from this movie because it is uh, – you will not enjoy it if that's all you've been served so far. So uh, do your do your homework. Buy an actual comic book. 
Read what? it. Yes. Imagine. <laughs> A Marvel comic book with Bill Sienkiewicz art. Now, there when was the go. last time you think that I was ever going to say that? Now, what an opener. What an opener. <laughs> now, uh, the, the thing, my main take, I, you know, it is a movie, so I'm not going to see it. That's, you know, my thing. But uh, what's really stuck to me is, like, now people who have no idea what comics are are going to be able to talk about the demon bear, and that kind of pisses me off. Oh, yes, I know. It I was know. like at the end of the Avengers movie when Thanos showed up and like people are talking about Thanos. It's like, you don't know Thanos. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Who it's are like, you? It's like that one day and, and this and <laughs> you can judge me all you want on this one. I remember being physically upset mm-hmm. seeing a stupid dude in skinny jeans. He had sloppy hair carrying a skateboard and he was wearing and he was maybe around 14 years old, a real sure. punk ass mofo. <laughs> and uh, he was wearing a G.I. Joe, a real American hero shirt from the comic book. And I just mm. wanted to go over and rip that shirt off that guy's back and say, get it off, you! <laughs> Name five Joes. Name five Joes. You can't. You can't. <laughs> Snake Eyes doesn't count. Yes. Now, now this new Mutants movie, is it... Uh... Uh, is it a uh, is it a Sony thing or is it a Marvel uh, films thing? Oh no no no! It's uh, it's actually <laughs> number one. It's three years old, so this thing was actually filmed three years ago, and then it just stopped oh, in, in, in like limbo. Uh, pro- yeah production hell for all this time. So during COVID, what a better time than to spring this baby into action! <laughs> but uh, man, listen, you get magic, you get. Uh, you know, you get Danny, you get all the gang, Cannonball, and, and everybody is in there. And, you know, their characters are great. Wolfsbane was great. And uh, I don't know. They had all the characters. They did their thing. You know, what they were supposed to do. Demon Bear was awesome. And, um, you know, if you were a fan of that book, you pretty well get the book on screen. So there you go. There you go. And there some really go. horrible accents. That's what I'll say. Hey, that's, really big. That's like an episode of our show, so that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. That's a, that's a shot at Newfoundlanders, folks. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, and New Yorkers. It's all right. we, we go both ways here. Uh, we both get called out for how we say moratory. Um, but speaking of moratory, let's get into it here. All right. Strike Force, moratory number 27, March 1989, cover date. This issue is titled Tulima's Story. Written by James D. Hudnall, pencils Mark Bagley, inks Val Mayerick, letters Phil Felix, colors Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, the chief is Tom DeFalco. At a cover price of $1.50 USD, two can, and uh, 50p UK. If According, I knew better, if I knew mm, better, I would have paid $2 for this because this was a solid issue. This Definitely. is a heck of an issue, for sure. This is a really, really good issue, as good as anything that's come before it. Uh, and we say that with very little irony. No irony, in fact. <laughs> um, now, according to Mike's Amazing World, this book hit the racks on November 1st, 1988. So uh, I was uh, eight years old and uh, still living in Staten Island at this point. So a uh, long time ago. Now, the solicitation for this issue uh, it, I mean, it doesn't really ruin what's to come, so I suppose we can read it here. Uh, yeah. It goes as follows. There are some surprises in store as Dr. Talima reviews the entire history of the moratory process from its original discovery up to the present. But he'd better finish quickly. The most recent recipients of the moratory powers are on their way to kill him. Boy, but, they're not wrong. No, no, this is true. And I mean, this basically describes what's on the cover. It's, you know, it really doesn't spoil a whole lot. If you look at the cover, that's basically what you see. And uh, speaking of that cover, which was drawn by our regular artist, Mark Bagley, uh, Dr. Talima is in a very, very, very pink room. 
<laughs> they had they had leftover crayons from that uh, that Hugh run where he was painting all the <laughs> audience bright pink. So yeah, there's yeah, still a little just, bit of cachet left to use it. It for just the melted, yeah. The, 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 the crayons <laughs> melted on the uh, on the artboard here. Um, and Doctor Tulima is bouncing Aileen's baby, Aileen, on his knee. That won't make things confusing, will it? <laughs> uh, behind him is our new Cambodian Black Ops Moratory assassin who is preparing to strike the dock down. Also worth noting, there's a gigantic monitor in this room for some reason where the Moratory are, char- are seen charging toward somewhere. Um, these Moratory, you know, our current day Moratory, they don't even show up in this issue, really. Um, but the cover, you know, weird colors and all is is really nice. I like it. Yeah, I got to say, you know, it's it's pretty bright. It's unique. It's good to see, you know, Tulima on the cover, number one, which is always sure. cool. He's had a couple lately. I mean, he's had that one with the vaccine. Mm-hmm. You know, he was you the know, barbecued. I mean, uh, yeah. Bag of he's, bones, do- yeah. he's doing his rounds here under Hudnall. So, you know, he can really thank this guy for, you know, giving him the push, brother. Sure. So. But it appears out of the gate, you know, we're going to fill in all the storyline gaps. And boy, do we ever. So we yeah. fill, we cover all the ground here in this one. If I had to pick like a last issue, this would what I would want, man, because this is excellent. The moratorium are on the cover again. Now we do have some issues. So I want to get into this, actually. So mm-hmm. characters, costumes. So Lifter, we've always talked about how lame ass that particular costume is. Basically, <laughs> it's a blue suit. A blue, you know, body leotard with one arm out, and it has an arrow pointing directly at the goods. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But now, Lifter, and and she hasn't passed issues because I started to go, look, they've actually added the entire full two sleeves back on her again, which is a little bit of an error. That's true. uh, Yeah, which, which is sort of weird because it's sort of... I tried to see where in the comic book that the, you know, the arm actually came back into the suit. But if you look closely at this, it doesn't look like they intended to add that arm or um, to the actually, coloring. Yeah, yeah, they actually just colored her arm blue. It's true. So yeah, <laughs> now now there's the one issue where they were bearing down, where they're on their way to Horde Country, and uh, you know her and Revenge were sitting in the seat, and they were you know ready to pass a small child to their anus. Yeah, they were uh, rawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had the she had the double arm cover there, so uh, you know it could be a mistake, but they absolutely colored over her arm with a with a uh with a blue crayon here so you know they they covered their bases here but i do like the two arm thing so the suit is cool but uh i find it funny that suits change and alternate i mean take a look at scanner i mean his costume his costume has changed five times in three issues. exactly yeah we're on we're yeah we're definitely like at least on the fifth take for sure Oh man, like his helmet has has changed, has morphed under the same artist, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bagley, who designed it, keeps morphing it. I mean, you know, the designs are coming and going. We see that um, uh, what's her name, Katana. What's her name? Oh, Burn. Yeah, Burn. How could I? How could I forget that? <laughs> burn. Yeah, her suit has changed three times radically sure. as well. So. Costumes are, are maybe they have a giant closet. Maybe I'm just being overly picky, and they have a lot to pick from aboard the super train. But uh, you know that that's just the my only criticism of this particular issue because uh, I dug it the most. I love the cover, and I was full on. If I if I had my two bucks, I'd go back to 1988 and I'd snatch that bad boy right now. For sure, yeah. Scanner, his uh, 
the helmet like kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and it looks like sometimes it looks like something that you would see like maybe in Tron or something. <laughs> and then then sometimes it looks like a Faruka Sads. Um, it, it looks Nerf like Hulk gladiator Hulk, helmet. It looks like Hulk Hogan's fist helmet. Without the fist, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's pretty weird. It's like. And like in certain angles, it almost looks like Magneto's helmet. It's yes, not it's not a it's not a good look for him. I I don't even know what they're going for here. But then again, Scanner will he will self actualize soon when he grows his wonderful mustache, which I can't oh. wait for. <laughs> you you become a real boy when you gain you gain your uh, your pencil thin porn stash. That's the yeah, only and, way you're a real man. And his mustache is so powerful it it actually deflects the the helmet. He he can't even fit that under a helmet anymore. So <laughs> that's a good thing. But uh, now let's crack this thing open here. And uh, we open, and it's a dark and stormy night in Carmel, California. Now, Guy Harding, remember him? He's in the middle of reading A Farewell to Arms when he believes he spies a humanoid form outside his window. Moments later, there's a knock at his door. Who should it be but Dr. Chemo M.F.N. Tolima? The splash page, man. This is a great page. It is. So, I mean... Harding opens his door, and it's a stormy night. A man Bagley draws the crap out of the rain. Mm-hmm. It is pouring from the heavens. It is wet. And standing there in a trench coat, and this guy is soaked to the bone, is Dr. Tulima. He's co- He's got his inspector gadget coat on, and he <laughs> is soaked to the bone. But, man, I'll tell you what, and I know I give uh, give Bagley a lot of heat, but this is the best Tulima looks. I mean, I just love the way that Bagley draws uh, Tulima. I mean, even yeah. the elastic faces works for this character. So mm-hmm. I, I'm enjoying this version of him, man. I love this splash page. I love the only original art to this one. Love it. Oh, it's excellent, and it totally sets the tone for what we got here. Uh, yep. you, you, you almost you almost feel and hear the rain. It's really really good stuff. You, you can almost hear the door like. Yep. Sure. I love it. Love it. Now, uh, Mr. Harding welcomes Tulima inside, and he offers the dripping doc some dry clothes and a drink. Later, we rejoin the pair sitting before a roaring fireplace. It's a very romantic scene. Uh, to, to that informs, fire is firing too, brother. I don't know what kind of fireplace this guy's got, but that's like a, that's an intense heat going on there. No doubt, no doubt. I, I, maybe he, maybe one of them has the power to control flame. Maybe Burn is doing it. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Talima informs Guy that this visit will need to be a short one because the enemy are after him. And uh, this comes as a surprise to Guy because he's thinking, you know, wait, isn't the war over? What what, what enemy are you talking about? Talima assures Guy that the enemy of which he speaks is not the Horde. Now, the Doc is here to pass some information along to Guy so that he may pass it along to the Moratori. Guy is confused, but not for long. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the life and times of Dr. Kimo Talima. <laughs> Kimo Tolima, this is your life. <laughs> That's hilarious. This story, I mean, this story would have perfectly served, as I said before, as a last issue. But man, yeah. it is the perfect bow out. If you had to to finish, you know, write the final issue of uh, Moratory, this would not be a bad issue. I mean, mm-hmm. I loved issue twenty. That probably would have been my pick. But uh, if I had to, if I had one more issue to, to cap this thing off, this would be it. Yeah. Or it could be a perfect jumping on point. This could be Hudnell's signature start. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The restart issue, because you get all the backstory. You find out all the intrigue. So just think about what we learn here. We get developments on the process. We learn how the government interfered. 
We get to see the establishment of the Black Watch and what all the stuff that goes with that. I mean, there's so much that goes on here. And, of course, mm-hmm. Killer Moratoria are on the prowl, and they are out for blood with Tolima, who's on the run, baby. They loved it, sure. loved it. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I, I love your, uh, your your point about this being a great jumping-on point because over the past few issues, we've gotten letters pages, and uh, hudnall has been saying, hey, you know, my run really starts with 20s. Yes, you're exactly right. You know, that's when the that's when we're going to get the, all the Gillis questions will be answered and we're going to start, you know, we're going to put the pedal to the metal. And that's basically what we're doing here. We're we're laying we're laying the foundation on the second story of a strike force moratory as a property here. And it's a it's really good stuff. Um, Hudnall is uh, is doing amazing work here. Like, yeah. Like this is a great like if you're if you're talking like right now, he's he's well versed in his moratory. He -hmm. knows the storylines. He knows the angles. He's up on his game. So and he's filling in these blanks and he's doing a good job of progressing his story. So, you know, just I can't I can't wait to talk about it. No, it's true. And and poor Hudnall never never got his due for this, unfortunately. Um, But uh, back to the story here. We jump back five years earlier, and uh, Dr. Talima has developed an anti-aging serum, basically a way to, you know, quote-unquote, cure growing old. Um, Now, just as this discovery was making the news, the horde came. Now, uh, Dr. Talima would be visited by some very important movers and shakers of Earth-1287. They included government ministers, uh, our friend fake-ass Lamont, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> another another one named Herman Schzell, and also a, a Japanese uh, billionaire and industrialist, industrialist named Junzo Tanaka. And uh, they showed up at his door wanting a, basically an exhibition of the inventions, show how it works. Um, now, Kimo gives them a quick and dirty and then introduces them to his test subject, which just happens to be a cat. Now, of course, uh, <laughs> naturally. We yes. test on cats in the future, of course. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, this is not cruelty-free testing. Um, now, the kitty demonstrates its newfound ability to breathe fire. So uh, there's clearly more to this formula than its anti-aging benefits that it grants the uh, the you know end user. Now, Tanaka, he asked the doc if he's tested this on any human subjects. And at this point, he has not. And he plainly states that he will not, so long as the formula has its, quote, metabolic time bomb element. Uh, so, you know, this is this whole story is basically Tolima's get out of jail free card because, you know, they're they're showing he's not only like this heartless scientist who we talked about earlier, who was, you know, risking kids, you know, sure. putting them through the process and didn't have any conscious. No, we're seeing a completely different side of this guy. And we also get to see why he did these things, because yep. he's being forced by the Pidea to do these experiments the entire time. And we get the entire backdrop here, which is fascinating to do. You know, he's basically putting kids as scientific time bombs, as you said, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So very, very interesting here. For sure. Now, later that same day, uh, Dr. Talima returns home and he's greeted by his 12 year old daughter, Jenny. Now we've, uh, we've really promoted Mark Bagley here. Um, but he has some trouble drawing kids. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this really, this looks like a four foot tall, fully grown woman. Um, it's not a not a good look, not a good look as a, for a child uh, in a comic. Now, uh, Jenny gleefully tells her father that she has fallen in love. Any guesses with whom she has fallen in love? No. Uh, let me see. Maybe a, a a certain web slinger. 
Yes, she has fallen in love with Spider-Man. Well, what? Yeah, well, well, not 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 that. But the Spider-Man of the future, but not the 2099 one. This is a different Spider-Man of the future. Interesting how they portrayed Spider-Man in this book too. So they didn't just go with you know the classic red and blue suit with mm-hmm. the webbing. They didn't even go to the black, you know, the all black suit with the white eyes and the white spider. They actually do a different variation here, and I kind of dig it because mm-hmm. it's. It has some cinematic flair to it, so it's almost like the uh, the newer one from from um, from Homecoming, Spider-Man: Homecoming. It, it's got it actually got a belt. So picture the yep. black Spider-Man symbiote costume, and uh, it has the white spider, the white eyes, and it actually has a white V belt over his waist. And I I kind of dig it, man. Yeah, it reminded know, me I've... of the uh, the big time suit uh, from yeah, like, yeah, when there Dan Slott came on. Yeah, it looks oh, a lot oh, like that. Oh, 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 oh. Well, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> he who shall not be he who shall not be named. Go ahead. <laughs> Think of all the retweets we're missing out on. Come on. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> now, uh, Spider-Man in the Moratory Age is actually Ben Parker, Peter Parker's son, who picked up the mantle after the real Spider-Man was killed by Doctor Octopus. Uh, so now I got to talk about Dan Slott. Thank you. I, <laughs> You're welcome. I, I, you know, I just I'd love to think that they had, you know, Spider-Man's entire future done for 20 years of issues. But I, <laughs> obviously, I know they didn't because, you know, Dan Slott basically has Doc Ock kill Spider-Man. And he actually, you know, remember the whole Superior, superior. Spider-Man storyline, yep. which which was cool. You know, that oh, was, I that, loved was it. It. Yeah. that was his only uh, his only card because everything else after that went down the toilet bowl, Mr. Slot. But I'll I'll give you the superior Spider-Man angle. That was that was cool, and uh, you know that's probably the only real good original idea he had in his whole body. But uh, <laughs> just think about it. They're 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 setting the future table here. I mean, they're saying that Spider-Man was killed by Doc Ock here, right here. So mm-hmm. could that be a little bit of foreshadowing, young man? I wonder. I wonder. Now, not only is this Spider-Man Ben Parker, he's also a fictional. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, uh, young Jenny Tulema has fallen in love with a vid comic character, uh, which, I mean, we all have our fetishes. What are you going to do? <laughs> now, we can see on her vidcom here, we have a Spider-Man in all his glory, and it's a Sony-branded vid comic player, Ooh. which is a, a little prescient, considering all the hubbub that uh, went around last year with, about which movie studio has the rights to uh, to do the deal. Yeah, I found it was funny she was watching this on a Sony vidcom <laughs> player, too. I mean, considering that Sony holds the Spider-Man cinematic rights yep. hostage to this very day. I mean, you know, this is like... I mean, like I said, this is very visionary. I mean, think about it. You got they they forecast Spider-Man's death by Doc Ock. Now mm-hmm. they're they're viewing it on a Sony product <laughs> for Spider-Man. I mean, you know, this seems like a bit of fortune telling here, but I thought that was funny. It's true. It, and I never I, I don't understand the whole movie rights thing because like Sony owns it, but they let the they they what do they license the character out to Disney? What what do they do? How does this even work? And and so I don't. Back- so back in the day when Stan mm-hmm. Lee was doing his Hollywood negotiations, okay, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these characters were farmed out indiscriminately to all sure. kinds of different places. You know, some were licensed to do uh, record comics. Uh, others were licensed to do posters. You know, uh, we wanted to do a Incredible Hulk TV show. So there was, you know, they had to do the, you know, the TV rights. And then you sure. had the movie rights. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a mess. So, I mean, some people owned Doctor Strange, for example. Some folks owned Hulk. Others mm-hmm. owned Spider-Man. It was just a mess. Sure. And then when they wanted to net everything back together with cinematic, uh, you know, movie universe, 
Sony was there laughing, going, oh, nay, nay. We own this bad boy, not you guys. Mm-hmm. We got our X-Men, we got our Spider-Man, and you ain't getting them unless you pay the piper. And boy, did they ever. I was going to say, it sounds like a smart business move, doesn't it? It's, oh, yeah. But, <laughs> it's but like, hey, about, we bought this when nobody else wanted it. Now you and, want it back? Hmm. And they're dealing with Disney. You talk about a company with deep, deep money bags. I mean, mm-hmm. Scrooge McDuck and his diving board. That's what this is. <laughs> so, I mean, they can literally sit back and go, nah, you know what? I don't think you guys need Spider-Man for Avengers Endgame. I don't think so. <laughs> right? It reminds me of um of the you know the story of the uh, the Teen Titans anti drug thing where they couldn't use Robin because it was a Keebler comic but Robin was owned by Nabisco for for cookie rights or something. Then who came out? The Protector. The man. Is that his name? Yes, the Protector. The the man, <laughs> the myth, the legend. Um, now we see Spider Man on this screen here, and uh, it's at this point. That, uh, you know, old Dr. Talima, he understands why he was visited by fake-ass Lamont and the gang. They they don't want his serum to, you know, to prevent aging. They want it for the byproduct. They want to make superheroes. And so we jump ahead one week, and Dr. Talima is met by five individuals who have volunteered to be human test subjects for his age-curing formula. And he also meets a woman named... Beth Louise Neon. Yay! And, uh, yes, old Beth Neon's back. And this is before she had her roguish white streak in her hair. Mm. Now, the job was to, stressful, I guess. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Now, now, it ought to go without saying that the five volunteers are Aaron Ray Leonard, Patricia Lynn Sabrero, Clint Rogers, Bruce Agashi, and Woody Green. Now, those names might be familiar to you if you've been listening in a while or if you read the first issue. Um, now, <laughs> while the doc... Uh, that, that's the issue most people read. Uh, now, the, while the doc does his thing, he and Ms. Neon share a few flirtatious glances. Ah, man. You know what? When I saw that, I was like, man, this is the relationship they should have touched upon a lot more. I mean, definitely. You had, you had Beth Neon, and I mean, God bless her. She, I love that character. You know, she was yep. the hard, she was the hard ass person. You know, who also had the heart of gold for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She she tried to be a hard ass and keep everybody in line, but you know she also sympathized with them. But she was on her own, and she ended up costing herself her own life, you know, out of love because she yeah. fell in love with one of the uh, one of the moratorium and actually took the process, you know, just to be with him so they, they could they could share that bond, and uh, that ended up costing her life. But I mean, maybe she should have just hung out with Talima and <laughs> stayed away from the process. I don't know, sure. but it's one of those, uh, you know, relationship nightmare stories, I guess, where should have, could have, you know, <laughs> would have type of thing, but, uh, that's too bad, but you know, they're yeah. definitely, they're definitely looking at each other and they're doing the yeah. whole, you know, batting the lashes at each <laughs> other. And, uh, I guarantee you, uh, Talima bats his eyes and, uh, Beth is laying, <laughs> is uh, picking up what he's laying down. I guarantee you. <laughs> For sure. Now, next stop, the garden, where our newly powered fives and we're going to be put through their paces. You notice one thing about the garden here? It feels a little bit more like low tech under Bagley's pencil. I don't know yeah. why that is. It has more of a Looney Tunes vibe <laughs> than like the X-Men Danger Room vibe that was intended, I think. But what I liked here was that we actually got to see Patricia and Aaron. These are the two um, Black Watch characters that we didn't really get any background on. We saw their name. You know, after a while, we got to understand what happened to them, that they did die in the garden. But we actually get to see it, yep. their actual death spelled out here. I mean, Patricia, 
she steps on like a mine type thing and she gets lasered three times. I mean, through the head, through the torso. I mean, she, she just gets wrecked. Then, of course, Aaron, who was checking on her, he gets uh, Wiley Coyote. I mean, literally the anvil falling from the sky <laughs> crushes this guy like a brick. I mean, he was just boom. I mean, you know, this is one training session folks will never forget. Think about this. Moral of the story, kids. Get your training before you hit the sales floor. That's what I say in retail. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> you talk about a bad first day on the job. What? Big time. Big time. Now, uh. As you mentioned here, these are these are the two volunteers we lost, Patricia and Aaron, and uh, the remain, remaining three, you know, Clint, uh, Woody, and Bruce. They would go on to be that original fabled Black Ro- Black Watch. Oh God! And thank God. Like, hey, did you ever read Strike Force Moratory Number One? It's really good. I've heard about that issue. Yeah, I see it. I see it popping up do from you, time to time. Do you know that this series is the most? You know, it's the best series you've never read. <laughs> it's the book that everyone loves to discover, but very few actually read. <laughs> Do you know that this book sucks after issue 20? <laughs> I've heard that a time or two. I've heard that a time or two. And also, this should be a TV show. <laughs> yes, Netflix should do this series. Wow. I think we've I think covered we got all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, this issue fills in the gaps nicely. So like yeah. I said, they we see the deaths of Aaron and Patricia and old pet I mean, take a look at that woman. She looks very uh, Black Widowish here with her True. long red hair and her, you know, skin tight, you know, cloak and dagger bodysuit she's got on there. So I like that. It's pretty, uh, pretty cool look for her. Too bad she didn't stick around more than just getting <laughs> lasered to death with one, uh, you know, one step on the old uh, mine there. And she's done, though. Too bad. Poor thing. Poor thing. Now, those, we... those poor guys. I mean, think about this. The Black Watch. I mean, you know, picture the guys in the locker room. You do not have any female blood. You know what happened. I mean, you know, these guys could have went to Brokeback Mountain after a while. I don't know. They needed some female blood around this place to keep the old engines pumping. You know what I'm saying? But who knows? Anyway. It's true. It's true. Now, we, <laughs> we, we hop back to the present. And uh, if you remember, this is a story being told by Dr. Talima. And he... Uh, he informs Guy that he based the design of the garden off the Danger Room after seeing an oh. X-Men comic disc. And uh, this is probably the X-Men before the Shi'ar got involved, since it is so low-tech. Um, uh. Now, he's not proud of his naivete, and he realizes here that comics in real life don't quite mix. And uh, if he says so, I guess we'll we'll go with it. What's cool about this, and this is another future vision here, so More in this world... yeah. Yeah. Digital comics have officially replaced print. I mean, literally, they're taking a look at, you know, on their Sony comics reader, their their vid viewer or whatever the heck it is. I just wonder, you know, yeah, and this is stupid me just, you know, using my head cannon. I just wondered, you know, what subscription service did she use? Did she use a Marvel Unlimited? You know, did they have a coupon code signing up? Did she save money? <laughs> but think about it. It's in disc format, so it's not downloadable at all, which, sure. is, which is kind of fun. You know what I mean? So just imagine going to your comic store. And buying disc comics. <laughs> Think about it. Nothing on the walls. Oh, you have that'd a little, be the worst. You have a little tray, and it's just a bunch of discs. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> I mean, uh, do we even know where, you know, do comic stores exist? Have we seen one on this in this thing? I know that Aileen went to a hobby shop one time and got sure. Strike Force Moratory action figures, but are comic books still a thing? Like, do they have brick-and-mortar stores? <laughs> It's it's just fun. It's fun to think about, you know, True. <laughs> has Diamond still, you know, are they shipping the discs now? Chris, we got to flesh this out, brother. We got to find we out. Gotta, we got to figure this out for sure. These are the key <laughs> notes here. 
<laughs> now, you remember, um, man, when was it? Like maybe like ah, probably around the turn of the century where I don't know if they were licensed or not, but like a company put out uh, comic discs of like yes. like Fantastic Four number one through 400 or something or I Amazing bought, Spider-Man one through I, 400. I bought one at a yard sale. OK, because okay, I ever they, they like yes. vanished quick. Oh, boy, did they ever. And they were, if I, oh, they had, it was a really weird format. I don't think they were. Yes, I can't remember what they were, but uh, they looked really good on screen. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, there was no way in hell that they could have been licensed. I can't, I can't see that, but I I do own one. I got to, now you got me, you know, wondering (laughs) where the heck that thing is. I got to find that out. (laughs) I I remember, yeah, I remember them loading very slowly in my, uh, my computer. Wank, 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 trying to go through pages. I mean, it's not like now where you can. Just get just any flick. comic book you yeah. want off the off the interwebs, but uh, man, I thought I had the world there. Look how many comics are on this disc! Holy cow! Oh man, because I've seen one because um, I missed them the first time out, and I saw it because I think they were like I want to say they were like forty or fifty bucks, and uh, that's you know a little too rich for you know teenage Chris or whatever. But uh, I saw one at a half price books probably uh, within the past year year and a half, and it was like a hundred bucks. What? Yeah. I, mine, mine didn't have the case. It just came loose in like this, in you know the little uh, like a jewel case, pa- paper sleeves. Oh, sleeves. Okay. Yeah, it came in one of those things, and I was like, I, I didn't even realize realize what I had there. I just thought it was someone had pirated comics, but when I slid it mm-hmm. out, it was the real deal. Yep. So, yeah, well, so pretty bizarre. cool. So bizarre. Yeah, find them, man. They're worth they're worth tracking down. Mm, very very weird. Yeah. Now, uh, the Black Watch, they would go on to have their uh, one mission. Uh, now their bodies would reject their new moratory metabolism, and they went boom, of course. Oh, and job security is not a thing on this earth, man. <laughs> I, as a uh, as a manager in retail, I would hate to see what the engagement survey results would be for this particular uh, <laughs> project here. I guarantee you, you would you would not be a hero in the management division during the uh, the moratory strike force process here. No, no, probably not. Now, at this point, Talima decided to quit working for the Padilla. Well, uh, not so fast, Kimo-sabi, or would that be Kimo-sabi? Oh, he's here all night, everybody. Tip the veal, try the waitress. Um, <laughs> now, just as the doc was cleaning out his office so he could, you know, quit, he is met by a police officer who brings with him some dire news. Now, it turns out that the Horde have attacked a local school killing and capturing all of the children within, including young Jenny Tulima. Son of a gun. Uh-huh. And now the doc is all in on taking down the horde by any means necessary. So I might be just as twisted as these Hordians, because you know what my first thought when I saw this, that poor Jenny had died? Hmm. Who got her comic collection? <laughs> <laughs> What did she do with all these vid comics? <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. Were there any keys in that collection? Seriously. Mm. <laughs> I had a strange thought, though. You know, when you're talking about, and we'll talk about, you know, a physical, tangible copy. Sure. And, you know, and the difference between a digital buy. So, I mean, you know, people always say that, you know, comics are one of the last things to catch up on all the trends. You know what I mean? It's always in last place. It's always mm-hmm. seems to be treading water and, you know, finding its own way. And digital comics, I mean, think about digital music and digital movies. They've been around, it's seemingly forever at this point. 
Sure. But still, you know, digital comics still tries its best to exist, you know what I mean? But you still have that physical copy that people are demanding. And you go to a Walmart or you go anywhere and, you know, their DVD and Blu-ray sections, they're being reduced and reduced. Oh, and shrinking. Reduced. Yeah. yeah. Every year that goes by, they're shrinking. It's just like how tapes transitioned into CDs and CDs transitioned into MP3s, you know what I mean? Everything shrank. But I always thought to myself, what could you do to make a digital comic worth something? One of my kids had a card trading app on their phone. Mm -hmm. So they actually buy and they have rare cards that you can actually buy digitally. You know what really? I mean? And I was thinking to myself, oh, and they have value, but you can trade them. So say, for example, you're playing, you know, you have the Marvel Universe cards. You might have a like a rare cable variant, for example, and you actually pay more for that card. You digitally own it. It has its own, you know, tracking number, you know, one of how many X number that exists in the world. Mm -hmm. And you can trade that card back and forth. But there's a finite number of these. It's not like, you know, in the digital world, if you put up a digital comic, anybody can take a copy of that thing. Sure. You know what I mean? It's 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 unlimited. You know what I mean? But how do you make a digital book worth something? So say, for example, the first appearance of Wolverine, you know, Hulk 180, uh, say, for example. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or the other one. Or the, no, we don't talk about the other one. Hulk 180. <laughs> I haven't owned that one, thinking it was the first appearance. But that's okay. I, I'm I'm still not I'm still not upset over that. Cameo. But think about, <laughs> damn you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, think about this. If you put a digital signature on on a comic book and you actually gave those things value, so instead of handing it out and you mm -hmm. had to pay for it and make it uncopyable, you know what could you do to make Eventually, I mean, let's let's face it. The physical comic will eventually go away. I mean, 20 years, 20 years from now, we won't be talking about comic books and magazines. We won't. It's no. just it's just the facts. But how do you make a digital comic collectible? What do you do to make sure that, you know, you have Hulk number 181 and it's worth something digitally? How would how would you go about that? You know, I have that make any sense what I'm saying? I, I totally understand. It's it's funny. Um, early on in in my podcasting career, we uh we were trying to find ways to like promote engagement and stuff, and uh, we're like we're thinking like what can we give away? You know, what yeah. is it? What can we give away to make people a listen and uh, b maybe engage with us? And uh, we're like, oh, you know, we'll let's get you know a bunch of uh Comicsology uh, gift cards. You know, we'll 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 give away you know like right. ten bucks on Comicsology or whatever. Nice. And you quickly find out that that has no value. <laughs> there, to offer to offer somebody ten dollars on Comicsology to spend on anything they want, yep. when they could just Google the name of the book they would like to read and find it for free. Yes, exactly. Anywhere. Um, right. So it can't just be the comic. So if you're making these things, there has to be some sort of X factor to it, and I, yes. I just don't know what it would be. I don't know either. Anything could be copied. Any, I mean, even if something is numbered, it's like screenshotted. It could be. I, yeah, exactly. Anything. I can look at the same picture you are. I may not own the rights to it, but then again, I, I didn't pay for it. So, which is uh, strange how the future will roll with comics because you know intrinsically things will have no value. Yeah. So say and for I, example, if I bought Hulk 181 right now today, how much would I pay? Let's just uh, say a, a very good copy, you know, what, uh, like what would, physical. What, um, yeah, physical oh boy, um, five grand. OK, say five grand, for example. And, you know, Hulk 181 is clearly twice or Hulk 180 is clearly twice that, of course. Of course. But, you yeah, know, but, I, 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 I three or four times that. Yeah, 20, yeah, I don't want to brag. Yeah. I don't want to brag. Right. 
but I can go on Comixology, and I would never do this, by the way, and you can call me uh, Shiver Me Timbers all you want, but uh, you can buy Hulk 181 for $1.99 on Comixology and yep. own it digitally. Mm-hmm. Totally. There's, there's something not right with that, you know what I mean? Like one thing is worth 5000 and the other one is worth $1.99. Of course, it's digital. Of course, it's not the real deal, and it has rarity. But where are we going to be in the future with this argument? You know what I mean? If the physical sure. comics only go away and you have the finite set of back issues, that's all that will exist in 20 years' time, will there exist a collector's market? That's my question. And how how do you judge value on a digital product? It's really strange. Then I found out. Then I found out. So my kids love Fortnite, okay? Okay. They play it all the time. Uh, my youngest son. So guess what they do? They offer up uh, skins, they're called. And you have to achieve a certain level in the game, or you have to pay a premium just to get this physical skin. Gotcha. Now, once once you get it, you can sell, trade, and do whatever you want with this thing. You know what I mean? It's an actual mm-hmm. commodity at that point where you can sell it back and forth. Folks who have paid for it or haven't paid for it, you can gift it, you can you know sell it, you can do whatever you want. So it becomes an actual commodity. And mm-hmm. I'm like, bingo, bango, there you go. But like you said, it, it's but it's something that you can't just go on the internet and steal unless you're like yeah. Super Hacker 5000. Sure, that, and then you get banned from the game anyway. But yes. uh, but yeah. it's like so. Yeah, what what kind of interactive element can you add to a digital comic book that's similar in a way to to a skin or a, or a new gun or, or whatever in in a video game uh, yeah. a piece of dlc i don't know what sort of interactive element you can add um I'm, I'm, so i'm cool with here's, here's the way I, I view digital so like netflix i feel that there's strong value in netflix okay i really mm-hmm. really do i think it's worth the money that i pay for so for i sure. will not i will not pirate movies right now Okay, because I I have an option to watch movies. Okay, and 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 I like that option. So Mm -hmm. I like Marvel Unlimited. You know, Mm -hmm. I I I honestly do, and I subscribe several times a year, and I you know I read a whole batch of stuff, and then I you know I pack off for the rest of the year. I I I don't I don't have it all the time. Yeah, yeah, I get my fill. I I read everything that I want to read. If they have a good promotion on, bang, I jump on. Okay, but it's because it's unlimited. I have that full library. I can't Mm -hmm. fathom. Going to Comixology and you know grabbing Strike Force Moratorium number one and paying a dollar ninety nine for a digital copy of number one. No, Would, certainly not. I, I just I it it doesn't feel right and comics are still not at the point where they've adjusted digitally no. to the game where everybody else has card programs have it figured out mm-hmm. Fortnite and video games has it figured out man like something something needs to change because you know we're slowly going away from the physical and uh, you know. Digital needs something else, something under the hood to make it worth something, and that's all, that's that's my that's my thought on that. I, I think you might have hit the nail on the head there when you said that uh, that comics are so far behind the eight ball when it comes to adapting to from physical to digital, and I think a lot of that has to do with the a big grip of the comics fandom being so um, having the collector's mindset. Yes. You know, it's for for us. I mean. I mean, yesterday I bought a couple of issues of Steel Town Rockers from a 50 cent bin just because <laughs> yes. it's like, it's like, oh, how cool is it just to have a copy of this garbage, Bingo. you know, Bingo. where I wouldn't have done that digitally because what's Absolutely the point? No. But as a collector, 
I, and it's the same reason why I still I still spend a hundred dollars every month on DCBS, where I get physical books that I don't read. It's it's because <laughs> I I have the collector's mindset where it's like I want to have these tangible items, and uh, you know if I ever do decide to read them or if I ever get around to reading them, that's just a bonus. Well, guess but, what? Uh, you have them physically own yes. them. Yep, right. They they are and, mine, and and you know, looking at the looking at that fifty cent bin that I was uh, trolling through yesterday, it's like I, I could. I, I mean, I saw Strike Force Moratorium number one in there for fifty cents. Yeah, so exactly. it's like I could buy it here for fifty cents, actually have it, hold it, tear it up if I want to, or I can spend <laughs> two dollars on Comicsology and look on it on a screen, or I can Google Strike Force Moratorium number one, which we do not recommend doing. No, and you can find it and read it for free. Or do you force this technology we see here in Strikeforce Moratorium? This is this is my Discs. overall. <laughs> no, well, not not exactly a disc, but you know they have chip technology. Sure. God knows they might be able to stream things Bluetooth by the time that uh, or you know, yeah, basically stream it to your to stream it to your system or whatever. Mm-hmm. But. You can still physically own stuff, but you have to. You almost have to take it away from the internet where it's being stolen. So you have to, you know, counteract all these traps where other people are gaining this content. Now, I'm not saying, you know, shut down the pirates. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the last guy to talk about that. But what, I, what I'm trying to say is that if we're going to give value to comics to in the future, yeah. you need to add value. So what do you do? How do you make it? Do you make it, pri- you know, proprietary to one? You know, single unit that you have to have to view a comic. You know, what is it going to take to create value around a digital comic? And I, I don't know the answer at this point. I yeah, because it, it just doesn't seem like there's, doesn't seem like there's any it, comics is the is like the perfect form of media to pirate because it it's is so oh, easy. perfect. It's yes. static. You know, it's a, it's it's a screenshot on a phone. That's you know it. what I mean. You that's could literally. It. You could, and it doesn't matter. Even if they took them down, you could literally go to a store. Say, if the the comic book store was, you know, your only resource for getting comics, so every pirate site shut down overnight. Mm-hmm. Someone could still go in on their phone and, you mm-hmm. know, take a snapshot of every page in that book. All of yep. a sudden, it's back up again. It, it's literally that simple. It's it's an, it's a photo image, and that's all we're dealing with here. So mm-hmm. things, something got to change. But I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I just thought that was an interesting thing seeing this technology in Strikeforce Moratory. No, no, it's very it's a it's a re- very weird disconnect because uh, this this book has been so prescient on so many things, including a form of an internet, but didn't. Um, didn't consider a, a digital component to their collectibles here. So I think this really opened up a, an interesting conversation. Um, Absolutely. And just a way to uh, just a way to look at where we are now as compared to where we were then and how we view these things as, as commodities or as, uh, as things that have particular maybe perks or added value to them. So and no, very, yeah. very interesting stuff there, yeah. but uh, we, we should hop back into the story here. We have uh we just saw the, the, you know, the doc found out that his daughter was killed uh, by the horde. So he's back in. He ain't gonna quit the Padilla. He's got a mad on for the horde, and uh, so he's gonna get to work. And uh, it's here that we meet Generation One. Ooh, it's, yeah, it's old home week here. We get to see our friends. Harold, Yay! Old Harold, Lorna, Aileen, Big Robert, Louie, and Jaylene. And uh, Kimo, uh, he describes these kids as having, quote, intense patriotic enthusiasm. Especially Harold. Yes. 
but still they would die. And uh, each time one of his, you know, I, I, we don't call him students, uh, I guess his, well, his moratory, I guess. Uh, each time one of his moratory would die, it was though it was as though a piece of Tulima himself was dying as well. Now, we get a break from the story uh, because Guy, he wants to go check on baby Aileen. And uh, so he and Tulima head into the baby's room. And we readers can see that they're not quite as alone as they might have thought. Because also in that room is our new Black Ops Moratory Cambodian assassin. Only he's invisible. He's uh, the, the, the doc and uh, Guy cannot see him. But I will get more into that as we go along. Now, after checking on the kid, they come back to the living room, and uh, Tulima and Guy recall the day that baby Aileen was born, which, of course, was also the day they lost big Aileen. Um, now, that night, they went into the desert with that signaling device, but at this point, that's all we really know. Now, what happened next was Guy and Tulima, or Guy, yeah, Guy and Tulima, they were found by some Padian soldiers, and Tulima was pulled back into the fold against his will. Bingo! So mm-hmm. finally, there's your official explanation, folks, <laughs> for this particular mystery. <laughs> it's been alluded to just in some, you know, just random, you know, discussion in the past issue or so. But this so easily could have been explained with just a simple speech balloon in one of the comics. I mean, just yep. one word saying, you know, I'm forced back in That's after it. they or or they found me, they uncovered that I was doing stuff. That's all you need to do. But maybe they wanted to stretch out and have this mystery, but I think it was clearly unintended, and that was just a, a loose plot thread that uh, they didn't think they would have to revisit. I honestly think that's what exactly what it was. I think so. But, but when you're signaling aliens from another world to come and you know take down the horde, to me that's a pretty cool, uh, you know, a pretty key point in the storyline that you just don't want to <laughs> just glaze over. So, but anyways. Yes. And yes, it doesn't so make Talima look like such a fool for just going back to work without explanation. So the devil sure. is in the details, people. This should have been explained for, before this. For sure, yeah. So we finally, after six issues, so six months of story here, we find out why he was just back working in the lab, happy as a clam. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Talima tells Guy that the Badia needed him because without him, the only moratory they were able to create were the fourth Jenners, which were the moratory monsters, and uh, they didn't do nobody no good no how. Now, uh, Kimo reveals to Guy that he'd created four new moratories since returning to New Haven, but super secretly, he actually created seven new superhumans. Now, the four new moratory that he mentions initially are, of course, Revenge, Scanner, Burn, and Lifter. The remaining three, uh, well, you know. Now, it's uh, worth noting that our assassin friend is just about to strike Talima down with his blade at this point. However, at the mention of those three others, he decides he, he you know, he wants to, he wants some lip service. He wants to hear a little bit more about what the doc's got to say about him. Oh, I just, I love the invisible silent assassin thing here. This Tam yeah. Van Ock character. I just, I love it. He's got a really cool look. And of course, this is the 80s and, you know, I talked about it in previous episodes that, you know, we're the ninja craze. I was a huge mm-hmm. ninja lover. Now, here, we're in 1988, 89, you had headed in 89, and uh, the ninja craze is about three years removed here. So, you know, we're on the downside of ninja popularity, but I was still eating all this up. Kid Me was loving Tam Van Ock, I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the, the only ninjas people cared about at this point were the, the Teenage Mutant Turtle variety. So. <laughs> Because I think that, yes, that I think the cartoon started like eighty eight, eighty nine, right? So this oh, yeah, is right absolutely. around then. So and that exploded big time. 
Now, Talima then tells Guy the story about what happened to his poor assistant, Randy. Now, uh, if you remember, that hulking alien showed up out of nowhere, and then our fish-faced friend appeared and killed it. Vax, our fish friend, he would then set his sights on poor old Randy, killing him before vanishing, which left Talima holding the bag. Oh, boy. For days, for days, <laughs> Talima stood over that dead body of a non-irradiated body of Randolph, just, just holding that bag, Chris. He was holding it. Anyway. He's standing there with his arms out. I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know what else to say, you know, you know. <laughs> now, guy's name Randy never fare well in life anyway. That's all I'll tell you. It's, it's unfortunate. Now, that guy in the ill-fitting suit shows up. We're back in the flashback still. And uh, we finally learn, I, I think, that, that he's Vic West. We heard a little bit about Vic West a couple episodes back. This is Vic West. Now, uh, Vic cuts the dock a deal. Now, if Talima helps with their secret project, he won't be charged with Randy's murder. Oh. Yeah, Talima ain't feeling it. West then decides to sweeten the deal by revealing that Jenny Talima is still among the living. Oh, hey uh, now. Hey now. Yeah. And that these new others would retrieve her from wherever the hell she's being kept. Now, Talima is dubious. After all, why would these others even agree to the process considering that it'll kill them within a year? Vic then tells the doc that the Padilla know all about the cure. Ah, that was your one poker chip you had hidden in your pocket. Hmm. And now poor old Talima is unveiled. He's naked to the world. He's exposed. Now, seriously, what what choice does he have? I mean, think think yep. about that. If you're if you those were your options, you know, your daughter potentially alive and, you know. Think about it. I mean, he, he's got his back against the wall. He's got no alternative then to uh, tend to jump on board with these guys. So it's too bad. You know, they have his daughter and, you know, they're hanging Randy's death squarely on him. So if he doesn't go along with it, this guy's going to the clink or worse. Yep. Who knows? But uh, For sure. they're on to his con, brother. And it's all out now. Yep. Now, uh, at this point, Guy interrupts the story and he demands to know why Talima didn't give this cure to Aileen. And uh, the doc explains here, and these are, this is a very, very important line here. He says he's not even sure it's going to work in the first place. Yes, but Jesus, would you not try at least? I mean, think about it. True. These people are going to be dead within a year anyway, right? No matter what happens, these, well, more, you know, earlier than a year potentially, sure. as we've seen. But think about it. If you were presented with one week to live and someone presented you with a cure, you'd try anything, wouldn't you? No doubt. Seriously. Hey, Chris, no you got one week to live and some guy, some, you know, snake oil salesman comes <laughs> along and says, hey, we got your cure here, Mr. Sheehan. You know, <laughs> this will cure you in a day. Of course, you you know, you'd swallow that back 100 percent. Oh, totally. <laughs> it would be done. But uh, I don't know. Just because it wasn't tested, they couldn't try it. Oh, I don't know about that. If I was Guy Harding, I'd be uh, punching chemo in the teeth by that one. I think Not a good right. explanation. I think you're right. I didn't even think about that when we first read this. So, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Now, um, the cure, of course, is that Hordian virus or whatever that Jason brought back to him to Earth. Um, now, remember, the assassin, our, our invisible assassin here, Tam Von Ock here, he is still in the room. And uh, this is all news to him because uh, he'd been led to believe by Vic West that this cure was a sure deal. So, dun, dun, dun. yeah, you sign up and we'll cure you. You're, you're going to live a long life with powers. Now, uh, the doc goes on to explain to the, the, you know, the concept of this terrible trio. He uh, describes them as far different than any prior moratory recruit. He says these guys were cold and he says they stunk of death. 
And uh, how about we finally name him so we don't have to keep saying our Cambodian friend. Um, <laughs> we have uh, Zakir Shastri. He is now the tiger. From Mike Tyson's punch out. Yes, yes. Now, uh, his fingers radiate energy that can slice through any matter. So uh, kind of like sheer, right? Of course. Chris, yeah. you know, and I know that every team, especially in the 90s, needed to have a member with claws. It's, it yes. was mandatory. It's the written one in the with script. the claws. Yes. You have to be <laughs> you have to have a claw guy. I mean, when I was a kid drawing superheroes in my numerous, numerous hundreds of drawing tablets and pads, I mean, I always had, number one, I had a flying guy. You know, you mm-hmm. always had to have the Superman. You know what I mean? You had to have your Flash, your fast guy who could run. Yep. And, of course, you had to have the mandatory claw guy. Somebody always had claws in my comic books. I don't know about you, but that was oh, you have to. that was, yeah, that was team building 101 back in the 80s and early 90s, man, right there. It reminds me of, like, uh, when the, the image revolution happened, you know, and, like, we had teams like Cyberforce and Wildcats and Youngblood. It's like yeah, it's like every team had the same uh, the same cliche tropey characters, it's, and yep. and like when they do crossover, it's just like, okay, well the one with the claws from Cyber Force is gonna fight the one with the claws from Wildcats. <laughs> Are you ready? Oh, and I never was ready. <laughs> You are 100% right as rain, my friend. That's hilarious. Now, uh, our friend Red Cougar Mellencamp, he is now known as The Wind. And uh, filling out another trope here, he can run faster than the speed of sound. <laughs> the Wind. The Wind. Oh, my God. That name sounds like flatulence. Like, what, what can I say? Did you break wind? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not into that name. The wind. So many jokes. So little time. <laughs> maybe he's a maybe he's a Bette Midler fan. He's oh, the wind beneath your boy. wings or something. Ooh, you wouldn't want to be Bette Midler. Ooh, she <laughs> I wouldn't want to be her wind either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nor <laughs> beneath those wings. Oof. Now, Tam Von Ock. He is now the ghost, and uh, his powers allow him to elude all senses. I really hope they didn't spend an entire like creative conference coming up with those basic-ass names, man. You talk about generic. The ghost, the wind, the tiger. What? Yeah, this, this goes back to that Gillis and Anderson joke thing where they had the, the dartboard, you know, oh, where it's exactly like, boink. Wow. We're going to call him the ghost. Uh, now, oh. now Talima even posits that, for all they know, the ghost, who can elude all senses, he might be in the room with them at this very moment. Well, duh. Now, uh, by the time these new recruits were ready, you know, uh, the war would already be over. Because uh, the VXX-199, they chased the Horde off planet. Now, Guy asks why Talima is on the run now. And also, you know, hey, your daughter's alive. Where is she at? Now, now Kimo tells says he'll tell him everything, but time is growing shorter by the second. He's got to change clothes and hit the road. PDQ. Ah, there you go. So he's on a mission. He's he's got he knows his time is short here, and these assassins mm. are coming for him. So, and he also knows, which is kind of cool, that he's already being watched, which is yeah. which is kind of which is kind of weird. And I, you know what? You talk about, say, for example, you thought you were invisible and you were infiltrating, and all of a sudden somebody in the room goes, well, I know there's an invisible guy over there in the corner. It sort of takes your wind away, you know what a I mean? Bit. You're like, ah, he, the game is up, guys. God, he knows I'm here. <laughs> now, while the doc changes clothes, he dips back into his tail. Uh, now, Talima noticed that Vic West liked using, liked using his office to take phone calls for whatever reason, and, uh, and so the doc decided to plant a listening device under his desk. 
And this is how he learned everything. First of all, Jenny's probably dead. Now, the uh, the photo Kimo was shown was of an actress made to look like Jenny. Mm. Second, they, they, they hired some 40 year old woman <laughs> to play Jenny. <laughs> and, and it, it worked. worked perfectly. It tricked, yeah, it worked. It tricked our doctor here. Second, once the Black Ops team is given the all clear, they're going to kill Talima. Third, once Talima's dead, the Black Ops team is going to kill Aunt May. <laughs> My God, it's like one of these classic villains you see in a cartoon, right? Who runs down his list of things that he Literally. got to do. You know what I mean? Here's my entire game plan. I'm going to blow up itinerary. the world. Yes, you know what I mean? <laughs> with my with my radioactive laser pointed at a diamond at the exact time, Spider-Man. You know what I mean? It's hilarious. I mean... I mean, think about it. Talima created, you know, he created these worries, but did he create himself a back door? That's my question. Hmm. You know what I mean? Think about Batman and Superman. Batman has a back door in the event that Superman ever goes rogue. You know what I mean? Sure. He always makes it clear that, you know, brother, if you ever step out of line, we're coming for you. And, you know, Kryptonite's about to get real. You know what I mean? Yep. So my thing was that, and this is my headcanon going again. He knows Ghost is really in, the, that he's in the room with him. But he's not really afraid of him. Does he already have these guys' number? You know what I mean? Does he have a hmm. backdoor? Does he have a plan? Does he a have fail a fail safe? safe? Maybe. Hmm. Hmm. I just just a thought. Definitely, definitely good food for thought there. Now, uh, Talima tells Guy that he's got to pass a message along to the Moratori because there's nobody else he can trust. Uh, he tells uh, he tells Guy that uh, Talima himself he's going to go meet up with Brava, who is currently vacationing in Spain. Well, apparently the war is over. The war is over. There's no mm-hmm. threat. So now Brava goes on vacation. I bet she didn't, you know, I bet she's kicking herself in the ass now for signing up for that uh, that process. For sure. <laughs> well, we beat the horde and uh, you're still going to die. Sorry, you go to Paris. <laughs> but listen, at least we get to see Moratori get vacation time. Sure. A little yeah. R&R. Yeah. Do they get benefits? What's their dental plan like? Who knows? Who knows what's in this premium job package they got as moratory? Good Lord. They get, they get one dental checkup. <laughs> <laughs> Where they build after. Think about it. I mean, these guys have been thrown away. I mean, they were, they were blown up, you know, buildings landing on them. You know, the only one who didn't survive like a, a slight fall was poor Shear, who just tumbled <laughs> off <laughs> tumbled to his head to gucci's uh, failed him yes yes well while everybody else was just taking these massive sonic hits from the horde you know what i mean but think about it are they getting billed you know do you have do they have to pay this stuff back or they're, they're deductible yeah <laughs> i mean the paidea does control the government health care so you know sure. maybe that's a thing who knows who knows <laughs> food for thought people <laughs> yes indeed now as uh as the doc's gonna head to uh spain what he needs Guy to do is to get in touch with the rest of the team on board the Super Train. Super Train! This is wicked. So it's still a thing. <laughs> so one good thing about Yuri's reign as commander in the seat, the one thing that I'll take away from that reign is that friggin' train. Hell <laughs> yeah, brother. Still exists. That's great. I'm glad. It's still Super. a thing for sure. Now, Guy asks about the virus and whether or not he should even tell the team about it. Talima informs him that the virus is highly contagious, so by now, they've all got it, as do Kimo and Guy. So, uh, if this cure is legit, well, it's very likely they've been cured by now, if it's legit. 
what the hell is going on with this book? Is this book clairvoyant or what? Now Might they're be. talking about everybody getting viruses. That sounds a little bit too close to the vest. A little, our, you know, take you know, st- was it ripped from the headlines. Yeah. Yeah. This are that's our current situation that they could probably be talking about here. So you know, you're talking about Sony and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking, you know, you're predicting digital comics, and now you're predicting a virus outbreak. All mm-hmm. in this one book. This you could have put, you could have passed this out in 2020, and it would have been perfectly acceptable. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> it wouldn't have seemed dated not one bit. Nope. Now uh, the doc wishes Guy luck, and he takes his leave. The ghost follows him outside. Talima gets into his car. The ghost lets him leave. Loved it. Yes. Now the ghost then calls into the Padilla base to report in, and he says, "Yeah, Doctor Talima, he he never showed up." He never showed up at Guy Garding's house, so uh, uh, how about that? Man, Cam Van Ock, I, I love the character already, so he's already got a crisis of conscience. Mm-hmm. He's found out that he's already been lied to by the Pidea. So when Talima's telling the story to Harding, Harding revealed that he doesn't necessarily have a working cure. Yep. Now, these guys were told that a cure was 100% a certainty, so now he's going, wait a second here. Mm. I'm sent here to kill the only doctor who could potentially make a cure. Yep. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, so he's going to lay down this blade. And I love the ghost character. I just love the way he loomed throughout the entire series. You know what I mean? They're sitting in the living room. And the guy's behind the couch just looming with the sword in the air. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Ready to strike at any time. I just love this. And this is – I think this is one of Hudnall's creations, isn't it? Like one yeah. storyline-wise. And I yeah. think this is his crown jewel. I love Tam Van Ock, man. Oh. One of my favorites. Excellent stuff here, and it and it just it further uh, you know drives the point home that the Padilla are are scumbags because yep. it's like we're gonna make we're we're gonna give you this uh this you know moratoria uh, deal here you're gonna you're gonna die within a year we're gonna lie to you and say there's a cure but we're gonna make you kill the only person who can make a cure and then in a year you guys go away ah, we don't nay, have to nay. worry yeah we don't have to worry about these three very dangerous very deadly people anymore they'll be gone after they did all the dirty work so Oops. really cool stuff now on the phone the padilla informed the ghost that they're moving on to their next phase of the plan which is plainly to kill the moratory oh of course they can't even wait till you know poor old dominica can she can't <laughs> even finish her vacation poor nope. old Baraba. it's a sin I mean, there's nothing worth – think about it. There's nothing – what's the worst thing that happens when you're on vacation? I tell you what. If I'm sitting on a beach in Florida, for example, the one thing I don't want to happen is my phone to ring about work in another oh, country. Boy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just imagine. She's in Paris. She's enjoying you know, some baguettes and some stuff under the Eiffel Tower, and all of a sudden, they, you know – uh, you get assassins trying to kill you or, you know, a Hordian or the Vaxians are attacking again. You know, what a what a buzzkill. Totally, totally. Now, uh, the tiger, he's already headed this to Spain in order to take Brava out here. And the wind is headed to Atlanta, <laughs> which uh, we learn, <laughs> which we learn is the next stop for the super train. Super train. Very much love this issue. What a perfect wrap up. Oh, I mean, boy. man, oh, man. So now you got. Killer Moratory, they're on their way, they're headed out, and they're ready to track down and kill our existing Moratory. You've got one guy who's having a crisis of conscience, which is Tam Van Ock, because, you know, he was sent to kill Talima. Now he's having second thoughts. He knows something is up. you got mm-hmm. Talima on the run. You know, you got you got Brava, who's away. She's physically out of the country. Stuff is going to happen, brother. Stuff is mm-hmm. about to happen. 
yeah, the this thing, this issue delivered on so many different levels. The only thing that it kind of didn't tell us anything about was whether or not the baby had any sort of powers. Yes. That was because uh, right. just judging from the cover, um, and I mean, you shouldn't judge a book by the cover, but looking at the cover, uh, you know, you have him, you know, bouncing the baby on his lap and there it looks like they're in a lab. It doesn't look like they're in a living room. It, uh, so I was expecting to get a little bit of information about the baby, but you know that that still might be coming our way. So yeah, that's exactly. fine. Uh, the issue was wonderful. Um, such a such a moody issue, you know. And, it was uh, really grim, but I loved it. Oh yeah, and and the fact that it was like old home week here, we got to we got to see you know our old friends, you know Harold and the gang, which we we haven't seen in a while. They it get like, mentioned a time or two, but we actually saw them here, and it was it was nice. This issue is your your bag of popcorn at the movie with a Coke, man. It was like pure <laughs> comfort food. It felt good. Totally. It felt, it felt like old moratory. Every part of the story was what you were familiar with. Plus, you got a little bit of new and some real sense of danger. And this was – loved this, loved this issue. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if uh, – since this was, you know, quote-unquote – uh, Hudnall's first issue, you know, I wonder how much of this backstory for Talima was Gillis's. I wonder if this was because uh, we we read last issue in the letters page that Hudnall did confer with Gillis about a lot of his future plans. So I wonder if, you know, the Jenny Tulima, Tulima thing was part of uh, uh, Tulima's original backstory or it could be or, you know, just all that, all the all the interesting little you know retcons we got here, which which fit perfectly, uh, didn't contradict anything that happened afterwards. Just nope. real good job. Like like we said earlier, this is like we're, we built the foundation for the second story. So we're putting the ne- the next floor on this house. It's really but, good. But Chris, stuff. this book is sucks after issue 20. What do you mean? How is this possibly a good issue? That's that's what I hear. That's what I hear. Uh, maybe maybe we must be wrong. We must be wrong. Uh, or, listen, listen. Did you read issue one? That was great. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that starred those three people on the cover. Yeah. Uh, di- but di- did did you get your check from Marvel this month? You, did you get it? I did not. Oh. oh, oh well, not. well, that, that I'm surprised you're still talking so fondly about this issue. Um, <laughs> now, oh, CBR, <laughs> CBR. <laughs> now. Now this issue ends with uh, in a with a, a group of official Strike Force moratory pinups, and uh, they're they're kind of middling. Uh, we get one of Tiger, and it's just him standing over a dead guy. Yep. Which is you know what are you gonna do? There's a cute one called Body by Moratory, which is a uh, before and after of Jason Edwards. Um, <laughs> That's pretty funny actually. <laughs> the first image has him as a shrimpy dude in a pair of heart bedecked boxer shorts. Unfortunately, <laughs> not a diaper. Um, and the second is of him in a, in his beefy revenge mode. Um, and... you know what his suit reminds me of? I found it. Hmm. Uh, so there's, do you, do you ever read Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew? Sure. So do you remember the JS, the just a lot of animals? Just a lot of animals. Yeah. Who was the large bunny? Was there a bunny? I recall a, like a big bunny. He was dressed in a red and white suit. What was that? Or was that another Charlton hero bunny? I got to take a look. Yeah, you, you do that while while I vamp here. I'll I'll, I'll talk about our third um our third pin up here, and it's Lifter. And here, Lifter is using her powers to uh, brush her hair. Oh so, well, great idea. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it, it is her telekinesis. I suppose she can use it however she pleases. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, and looking at these, it's like, eh, they're cute. You know, they're cute little asides here, but for a story that was so good, I wish we got a few more pages of it. 
Oh yeah, you know, me too. It's such like, such a great issue, man. I don't know. Yeah, it, just give us give us more of that. And I I'm trying to find your guy here. I I can't find anybody. I can't find a, a, a just a lot of animal picture here. All I'm seeing is a zoo crew. It's Thunder Bunny. Thunder Bunny. Oh, the Shazam from, one. Yes, it's Thunder Bunny is from uh, Red Circle. It's an actual Archie comic character. Oh, okay. Okay. Let me see. I'm. I found it here Red. too. Yep. There he is. Weird. All righty. Now, um, we actually do get a letters page here. Which is, oh my uh, God! I think two in a row, which I don't think we've ever had before. I think we'd call these a begging for letters page. Yes, a begging for letters and um and fake letters. I'm thinking is what we got here. Um, now once again, <laughs> all, all of these letters will be responded to personally by James Hudnall himself, and he opens with a little blurb, and he says, "Hello again, I am James D. Hudnall." Some of you have written in asking why we don't have any letters pages in this title half the time. Well, the answer is simple. We need letters. Um, Half the time is being very, very uh, generous. Um, (laughs) We've been getting an increase in letters lately, but we could always use some more. Well, I guess I guess an increase of one letter is better than zero. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think this is what I'm going to use for our show notes this week. Why don't we have? Why don't we read any listener mail? Well, we need letters. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> write us a letter, baby. He says, if you have any thoughts or criticisms, don't be shy. Let them fly. All of us here would like to know what you think of the book. Also, some of you can't understand why Doctor Talima came back. Well, it's a mystery, but there's a good reason. Issue 27 will explain all. I guarantee. I'm guessing they didn't think this letters page was going to appear in issue 27. It's not. Uh, because we're reading it right now. Plus, you'll get reacquainted with Guy Harding and the baby. Now, on to your letters. Oh, man, I feel so bad for Hudnall. I mean, Marvel, yeah. uh, you talk about throwing Hudnall to the wolves. This is a disaster. Yeah. I mean, seriously, what letters page have you ever seen where the, the writer is literally begging for letters? Mm-hmm. Plus... Mysteriously, there's no mention of that missing mailbag. Maybe that's the reason why they have no letters. Maybe they, you know, mm-hmm. they all went away because they were lost. Remember that came up a while ago? Yeah, a couple issues back. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. The, the bundles got lost. So yeah, huh. the bundles, the bags of mail that they were receiving, <laughs> the truckloads. <laughs> <laughs> Took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. It did. I don't know. It wound up in that dump with ET. Um, now letter. <laughs> Letter one comes from John in Virginia, <laughs> and he says he isn't all that happy that Hard Case and Silencer were both offed in the same issue. Oh, man, neither were we, of course. Burke and Ayaka were, I mean, they were just getting warmed up. Akia, I should say. They were just getting warmed up, man. I was really, really enjoying the characters, and uh, it's sad to see both of them dropped off in one issue together as lovers. It's true. Uh, John enjoys Revenge and Scanner. And uh, he's interested in seeing where they go with Sheer. Now, uh, Hudnall, he apologizes, and he claims that the Akia-Burke romance wasn't planned, and it just sort of happened as he was plotting the issue. Well, thank God. I mean, it's the best thing to happen to the characters ever since. I mean, think about it. They were flat and generic as possible. I mean, she oh, yeah. was literally dampening sounds. We were making fun of her. This was the first little bit of character that, you know, someone finally gave this poor girl. And Hudnall did a great job with them. And, of course, they died. Yeah. But it was like a – but as we discovered, it was like a little Bob Ross happy accident that that even happened. It never even happened until he started writing the issue. Yep. And and our man Hardcase actually got to uh, – he got to get laid. So. Yay! Yeah. 
Finally, he gets he gets to pay off that joke we've been <laughs> about his hardening <laughs> body parts. Um, letter two comes from David in the Bronx. Now, he was nervous about Gillis and Anderson splitting the scene, but after reading issue 23, he feels like the Moratori are in good hands. Now, he's so happy with Hudnall, he asks if he can have a list of all the work he's done, so this is definitely not a fake letter, right? Oh, my God. Well, you know what? At least they put something in there, right? I mean, yeah. seriously, if you're going if you're going to present a product, you got to walk like you're successful. Otherwise, fans are going to lose confidence. I mean, if you're out there going, oh, man, I don't know. Stuff is really miserable. My book is about to be canceled. You know, life sucks. Nobody's going to buy your book. Mm-hmm. Walk like you got a million letters. Oh, yeah. Here's our mailbag for this week. There were so many that we <laughs> couldn't even decide which one. So we can't have a letter column this week. Make up lies. What, what else are you going to do? You got to make it feel like a winner, man. Or the cat, sure. the cat comes out of the bag and nobody cares. Absolutely. But anyway, Hudnall is going to list his uh, accomplishments. Why don't you give it to him? Yeah, and he lists. Sit, sit down, folks. It's, it's going to be a it's long list. a long list. It's a long list, Jared. Uh, he did uh, Espers for Epic Comics. Oh, never heard of it. And Alpha Flight. Wish I never heard of it. <laughs> so, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly a crowning list of achievements there, Christopher. No, no, not really here. Uh, now, our third letter comes from Rude Dog in Arizona. Where's not the, the Road Dog. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, he loves revenge, or he or she. I don't know if the Rude Dog is male or female. I'm not going to I'm not gonna guess. Uh, Rude Dog loves revenge and hopes he doesn't die as quickly as Wild Card. To which Hudden Almighty replied, who's Wild Card? Oh, no. Oh, my. He's, he's a haberdasher, damn it. Um... <laughs> Letter four comes from Harris in Pennsylvania. Harris loves Hudnall, hates the art. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> and, is this is letter it, signed Chris Bailey? <laughs> it might be. And he's afraid that this this book is headed toward cancellation. Also, regarding Hudnall, quote, he's great. Where did he spring up from? So, I don't know, another fake letter. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, Hudnall replies by thanking Harris, a.k.a. Mama Hudnall, uh, and explains <laughs> that he's new to the comic scene after working for a compu- as a computer software consultant somewhere outside of Silicon Valley. Now, he promises that he and Mark Bagley are in this for the long haul. And since there, there's only like four issues left, I, I, he's probably not lying. Uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> I do get the feeling Hudnall's writing all these letters this time, though, because he's, uh, you know, he's padding his resume here. Not only that, but he's also taking subtle jabs at his old creative team, too. I mean, you know, it's not exactly passive aggressive. Some of these letters, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's very, very blatant. Um, Letter five comes from Danny in England. And he has a weird question about revenge's powers possibly destroying the Earth, uh, which gets an equally weird response from Hudnall that I fell asleep two sentences into. So <laughs> think about this. You're home on your couch and your one thought in your life. I wonder <laughs> what would happen if revenge ever destroyed the Earth. <laughs> you have bigger issues at hand, my friend, if that's all you can think about right now. Yeah, get some help. Get another hobby. Um, the letter six comes from Rodney in North Carolina. Loved issue number 23, loved Hudnall, loves Bagley, hopes that there'll be a Strike Force Moratory graphic novel on the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, how about five prestige format books? Will that do? We got those coming. Um, <laughs> James Hudnall wraps up by thanking everyone for their support and begs for more letters. Oh, no, he's definitely, Hudnall is definitely writing all these. He's got <laughs> 
All of them. Gotta be. Oh boy. Everybody, uh, where where have you been? Where did you pop up from, pal? <laughs> Terrible. Uh, that that reminds me, I gotta I gotta write some letters to a podcast. Uh, for next week. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited! I can't wait to do what's next. I'm just gonna jump the gun here. You ready? Hit me. Bullpen bulletins quote of the month, and I've got to do this because it's do one, it, one do of it, my do favorite it. characters. So maybe it's not as classy as a silver bullet, but at least it got the job done. Speedball from Speedball <laughs> number seven. Hell yeah, baby. That's my money right there. My money's on Speedball in 2020. <laughs> That's my favorite new universe book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Marvel, sign me up right now. I'm, I'm doing a drawing course. I can at least draw a, a character's head now. So uh, I'll, I'll draw Speedball for you. Yes, hell yes. I like it. Give I me the like reins. <laughs> From the quote of the month, we hop into news you can use. Oh, Yes, our first item is that former Marvel staffer Denny O'Neill has taken a wife. Dandy Denny marries Mar- magnificent Marifran McFarland. Marifran? Yeah. Marifran? <laughs> what kind of name? Would you name a girl named Marifran? You know, I, I thought, like, if you pronounce it, maybe like Mary Fran, but that's Mary like Fran. two names. Yeah, Mary but, Kay, Mary Fran. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'd be afraid that, uh, you know, you get that bump in your back there when you're going to sleep. I don't know. but <laughs> Moving on, moving on. <laughs> Marvel wishes uh, best bat wishes to the happy couple because Denny is, you know, over at the distinguished competition right now. Oh, yeah. uh, another news item. Remember that? Remember that that awesome softball, uh, you know, debacle we had between Marvel and DC, and we said we were gonna follow it. We were gonna. Oh, I can't you know, wait. We're gonna oh, here finally we go. tell the folks who won. Ready, ready. Yes. Okay, now that rubber match. You know, they were up one game apiece. That rubber match. Place your bets. Place your bets. Has been canceled. Oh. Mm, probably on account of cowardice. We just don't know whose side. Oh, man, maybe we'll see it now. Maybe in 2020, we can have Jim Lee's DC take on Team Feige over at Marvel. Come on, what's who a, would win? A, who would win? What the hell's a Feige? Kevin Feige. I have no Mr., idea Mr. Is. Marvel himself. Mr. Dan DiDio's good buddy. Pats him on the ass and say, hey, Dan, go get me some coffee. <laughs> 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 who would win? Who would care if DC? Think about it. If DC or Marvel had a crossover, would it, would it even matter at this point? I mean, no. you you got My Little Pony crossing over with Transformers, brother. <laughs> the the entire illusion of a crossover is dead, and it died that day. The day that I saw My Little Pony team up with Transformers, I was like, you know what? I'm done here. Check, my, please. Uh, yep. Never buying a new comic ever again. Thank you, IDW. Kiss my ass. <laughs> I'm thinking that if there was a Marvel and DC softball game th- right now. It would end in a tie, and everybody would get a trophy. That's that's how it goes, right? Oh, how precious. Right. Now, now, another news item. The Marvel Punishers, which we assume is the same scared softball team, they are staying active in the offseason by playing paintball and hanging out at Ralph Macchio's pool. And I got to assume there's probably a whole lot of butt diving going on. Oh. <laughs> Remember Mark Gruenwald, he is the butt diving champion. We're, we're we're not we're not here to judge, guys. It is 2020. We Go all butt our, diving all you like. Yep. We all have our fetishes. Um, <laughs> item. This joke just won't end because uh, Marvel is about to put out a How to Stay Fit the Marvel Way instructional book, which uh, I, I you got John Buscema helping you out with that one too. <laughs> It'll be a uh, Jazzy John Romita Jr. because he he has some pretty oh. decent sized arms. So. Oh. Um. Our final news. God. Now we have our final item, which is that Spider-Man will have his own balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So watch for it. 
Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's... Do you think anybody pays attention to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade anymore? Is that even a it's thing? All, I, it's still a thing. I know it's still a thing because I know Peter David was uh, – he held the rope under the Spider-Man one a few years ago. And that was oh. – uh, I saw some pictures of him uh, there. I uh, – I don't maybe I'm just given... maybe I'm just Macy's ignorant. You, yeah, it's it's your Canadian is showing. Yes. Oh man, um, what's no, that all about? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't paid any uh, any attention to that since I left New York. So uh, I know it's still a thing, but I, I can't say that I've ever watched it since I left New York. Instead, I I will just put on. Uh, uh, I have my marathon of Laurel and Hardy movies I watch on Thanksgiving as I as I cook. So we are, we are both ignoramuses. We are big time, big time. So if anybody is a big fan of the uh, Spider-Man balloon float, whatever it is, let us know. Um, but that's all the news, and it takes us to the return. Oh, boy, the return. Oh, yes. Of the profile. And today <laughs> we meet Glenn Hurdling. Oh. oh, that was the wind. That was the wind. The wind. <laughs> and that, that was not a slight on him. That, that will make sense. That will pay off. <laughs> that's what we in the business call podcast foreshadowing. Um <laughs> Now, his gig is he's the assistant editor on all the Spidey books. His freelance credits of the past were that he did uh, various Marvel Age magazine articles. He did a Spider-Ham story in What The? And uh, he did stimulating Spider-Man letter columns. Oh, yeah, stimulating. I think those were like the uh, penthouse forum Spider-Man ones. Like, <laughs> I can't believe this really happened to me. Um, I, was holding a, I was holding a rope under a balloon. Um, <laughs> now, uh, you've got you've got numerous copies of those, don't you? I know what? you do. Now he's a <laughs> they're collected. No, no, I, I'm actually I'm actually so such a goody two shoes. I I don't have those. <laughs> Jane, the Jane. the uh, the Catholic in me would be ashamed. Um, uh, now uh, the, his freelance credits currently are more Marvel Age articles, a not yet announced Marvel Comics Presents story a Rick Jones solo uh, Avengers story and a backup on a new universe story and an upcoming fill in issue of Spider-Man. Oof. And uh, we did a little bit of research here that uh, that MCP story would be a Willie Lumpkin Christmas tale. And that would eventually right. appear in Marvel comics presents number 18, May, 1989 cover date. Ouch. Now, yes, the Rick Jones solo Avengers story would be, would appear in Avengers spotlight number 25. And that was November 1989 cover date. And he did some Spidey annuals around this time, but we couldn't find anything on that new universe backup. So uh, maybe if oh, one of these days we do a deeper dive on the new universe, maybe we'll find it. No he guarantee. Got de- he got denied. He got denied that new universe paycheck. Yeah. I mean, oh. that, 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 that's got to be like 85 cents. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, now, Imagine the royalties these guys got. Oh, wow. Man. Well, if it was a star brand or night mask, I know they have a book that came out a couple of years ago. <sighs> Sorry. I, have, uh, I almost uh, swallowed my tongue there. That was another 50 center for, that I found yesterday. Hey, uh, <laughs> we're doing our homework here. Now, Mr. Herdling's hobbies include skiing, tennis, nautilus, skirmish, which I think is paintball. Yep. Uh, bar hopping, beach combing and Jackie. <laughs> oh, and I, I wonder if he means Jack Hay from 227. 
<laughs> Do you remember when Jack A was a big deal? I mean, I loved well, it was twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was one of those. You know, it was the start of those sassy black women comedy shows. <laughs> and I will say though, I found her hilarious as a kid. I mean, you know, I will say that Jack A. Her career died when she went to what I call Purgatory Hell. You know what Purgatory Hell is on TV? I have a pretty good idea, but I'll let you uh, explain it. It's one of those things where all of a sudden you wake up, you wake up from your fever dream of fame and you're stuck in a square box <laughs> and you look over, you look over to your left and it's Jim J. F. and Bullock <laughs> and you find yourself on Hollywood squares. And then, then my friend, you know, your career is dead as a proverbial doorknob. <laughs> Monroe. Oh, <laughs> Bullock. Nasty. Uh, and, and he even had to lose one of the letters of his name. Do you remember yes. that? He he was he became J M J Bullock because there was another Jim J Bullock in Hollywood, I guess. I, I couldn't point the other one out of a lineup, but I know Monroe. He was trying um, to get a bit of that Hollywood Squares money that that, that Monroe <laughs> was collecting there. <laughs> that is a life eighty five cents. Man. He had oh, like he must have been permanently strapped to that seat. He was like the eighties version of Charles Nelson Riley and uh, <laughs> and uh, oh who is the who is the one from. Oh boy, Paul Lind. Yeah. Oh my God. What? And here's a question for you: What did Charles Nelson Riley ever do? Was he ever anything? I I I've seen him like on the Match Game, but that's all I've ever seen him and like that Brett Butler or Rhett Butler or whatever her name was. Oh well, I mean Brett Butler was on uh, Grace Under Fire. No, 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 the one in the seven. Brett something. It was a woman named Brett. Uh, I don't remember her last name, but uh. But like you'd see them only on those shows. Uh, like I couldn't tell you. Like, does Charles Nelson Riley have an IMDb page? I, I don't I, even know. No idea. But I mean, he was. What's the one thing? I think he was in Cannonball Run. Maybe that's the one hmm. thing I can remember. Outside of that, I, I don't really know. Yeah, so he. Uh, yeah. So Jim J. Bullock became the uh, Charles Nelson Riley of the of the. <laughs> I love it. Now, the uh, the work that Mr. Hurdling is most proud of is an article in Marvel Age that didn't include any exclamation marks, to which I say, picks or it didn't happen, because I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I don't think there are anything in that book without an exclamation point. Um, nope. His pet peeves are people with pet peeves, so uh, don't start, Glenn. Uh, we, were, we were having a good time geez. up till now. Don't start. Here, here we go. <laughs> yep. He's winded up now, brother. Mm-hmm. His place of birth. He, uh, for whatever reason, would rather talk about his place of conception. Oh, my. So, okay, pervert, you want to talk about where your parents did it? I'm I'm starting to wonder about these guys. Have they been locked in a closet too long? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's strange. Um, uh, His greatest accomplishment outside of comics is graduating from college while retaining a few brain cells. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hilarious, this guy. His oddest habit. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? <laughs> he plays pop songs with rude noises emanating from his hands. Oh you know, my can you, can god! You give, can you do an ex- give us an example of those rude sounds? <laughs> with a little bit of extra. <laughs> That's and, horrible. Uh, who who we admits will, to that? We will include a link. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to include a link to Handmaster Herdling's YouTube page in the show notes. And uh, no, we're not kidding. He he actually films himself making rude noises 
with his hands to the tune of various songs. Um, oh, good lord! And uh, I think I think we need to reach out to the man to see if he can do the price by Twisted Sister. <laughs> we got to do it. Oh, because if if in the next few weeks you hear, you know, <laughs> when we when the show comes on, you'll know that we 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 hit pay dirt because. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna swallow my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Who would play Glenn Hurdling in a movie? Easy question. Patrick Swayze. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure he's just like Patrick Swayze back in the day. Because <laughs> you remember those. Didn't Patrick Swayze have an arm wrestling movie? So maybe he was Patrick making Swayze. rude. Was he that was Roadhouse? In- no, that was. Well, Roadhouse was. He, he was like a a bar fighter type of thing. Oh, OK. Yeah. I was ho- yeah, yeah. Uh, over the top was the other. Over guy. The, that's Stallone. Oh, man. They gotta get good. over the top. Do you, you think Sylvester Stallone ever made rude ho- noises with his hands while while arm wrestling? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so too. And he had to have that sneer on the side of his face <laughs> when he did it. No. That was a good one. Uh. <laughs> Why did Glenn Hurdling like to go? <laughs> Oh, we're 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 at the we're at the tippy top of maturity today. Um, <laughs> Who's making that sound? I can't concentrate. <laughs> I can't get over the top. Oh boy! Now why why did he uh, why did he choose comics? And he says he did so to make his friends envious, and I can agree. That's a good answer. Um, people in high school thought that Glenn was someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Probably until he started Patrick making Swayze, his crazy, for example. <laughs> until he started making his fists toot, right? I, I, but then, then, <laughs> then they, they knew exactly who they were dealing with. Oh um, man! Oh, we we really got to get him to do the theme. Um, <laughs> favorite performers include Robin Williams, Adam Blaustein, Harrison Ford, Goldie Hawn, Laurie Anderson, The Locks, and you two. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, I didn't. I, I never heard of Laurie Anderson. Anderson. I didn't know if he meant Lonnie Anderson or Louis Anderson. I've never heard of a Laurie. <laughs> I hope it's not Louis Anderson. <laughs> uh, he, he's he's number two on my most reviled list, right under Howie Mandel. <laughs> and you know, I would lump them in the same bag myself. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now, the last good book that Glenn Hurdling probably didn't read was. Oh hell no. Here we go. Samadhi, self development, and Zen: Swordsmanship and Psychotherapy by Mike Sayama. Get the hell out of here. Um, Not a chance. It is only 168 pages, so maybe he had it on his table for a little while. Um, The last good movie he saw is Street Trash, which uh, I've never seen, but I hear features a scene where a group of hobos play catch with a set of severed genitals. (laughs) (laughs) What? What is going on with the world? Yeah, we probably won't be including a link to that. Um his biggest influences include, for editing, Tom DeFalco, Mark oh, Ruinwald, please. so you can keep your job, uh, Carl Potts, and Jim Salakrup. So, he's safe. Now, his biggest influences for writing include J.R.R. Tolkien, Stephen Donaldson, John Gardner, and, in his words, the obligatory Stanley. So, he knows the game. Uh, yeah, he's cashing checks, but you're not going to get no checks with obligatory put there, brother. And and we didn't add that. He did. Oh, <laughs> now, boy. Now, his greatest unfulfilled ambition is to change the general public's opinion about comics so that they won't be embarrassed to read them. Well, uh, good luck with that. I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, think about it. By the time it happens, the industry is, is, you know, had murdered itself with gimmicks and arguments over diversity and politics and shooting itself in the ass with like comics gate and anti comics mm-hmm. gate. Oh my God. Like, is this even the same industry or like, like hobby that we loved as a kid? I mean, seriously, no. is it? It's not. No. It's not. It's a Man. whole nother animal. Wow. Now, the worst part of his job is filling out this profile. Oh, yeah, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, I, yeah. Every word was painful for him to get that out. <laughs> now, uh, when nobody's looking, he makes fun of Jim Salakrup. Uh, oh, uh, oh, you name dropper, you. Uh, oh, hilarious hijinks. Yes. And the one thing the people need to know is that he is not a yuppie. So I, oh, that I was that was a that was a big insult back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know we were reprofiling Ann Nascenti here. I, I, I don't know what's uh, <laughs> what's wrong with yuppies. You know, I, I don't I, know. what are you going to do? I, I think they're the equivalent of that that tool bag that sits in Starbucks and uh, writes his manuscript, I think. Yes, the, the public writer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Mighty Marvel checklist is here and there are, of course, no blurbs. And uh, I'm I, looking at it now. There's really no standouts. I, I tried. I tried to salvage something, something, anything of work. Yeah, actually, I'm place. mistaken. There was, there is one blurb, and it's oh. for West Coast Avengers 42 that just says John Byrne debuts as writer and penciler, and that's. Uh, we talked about that last week, but there's, uh, there's one thing I had question about. There's, there's hmm. two comics here that I have no idea what they are. Sure. So I've never bought Stray Toasters. Okay, that's that's uh that's Bill Sinkevich. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, that's a good reason. Nor <laughs> have I bought Powerline. Powerline is that part of the Clive Barker thing? Oh, yeah, I still don't have the it. The Shadow, so yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Have not bought it. No, yeah, none, but none no, of those exist in Chris Bailey's collection. Now, straight toasters, and and this is one of the things we disagree on in in our Bill Sinkevich. I, I'm a fan. You're not. Straight Toasters is one that I bought strictly for the art because I can't wow. read the whole thing. I can't read it, it. The story is just it's labyrinthine. It's not <laughs> it just it's rough. Um, but so, I, so I enjoy so the art. Bill Sienkiewicz draws in straight lines. So picture a guy. <laughs> he's got a he's got a uh, he's got a mask over his face, almost like a sleep mask. OK. And you tell him, OK, Bill, draw spider, draw Superman. And he just sits there and he's drawing just straight lines. And that's what you get from Bill Sienkiewicz. Is it a face? We don't know. Is that a son? Who knows? Who cares? It's Bill Sienkiewicz, and everybody loves him. Now, if if you want to see something that is uh, is Bill Sienkiewicz that's not that, it's only two issues long. It was never finished. It was his work with Alan Moore, uh, Big Numbers. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And it's 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 like really. A very different sort of Sienkiewicz work. It's it's beautiful stuff. Um, th- those I actually came across at a used uh, at a record store, um, oh, and they cool. had them they had them in with the records because they're they're not like they're not regular comics trim. They look more like oh boy, they're 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 kind of like square. Yeah, um, they're like they're, yeah, exactly. They're they're not exact. They're almost like Rolling Stone used to be. Yeah, yeah. So they that had them with records. And I found and I saw it was tipped out of a record shelf and I just saw big and I'm like, there's no way that's big numbers. And I pulled it out. It was like it was both issues of big numbers. I'm like, oh, I, I guess I guess I got big numbers now. So wow, good for you. <laughs> but I, I've I, that's another one that I've only read a few pages of because it's like there's no incentive to read it because it's not finished and it's never going to be finished. So uh, what are you going to do? Only um, two issues. Only two. 
Oh, we got to do the big num- the big numbers podcast coming soon from Chris oh, and Chris. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the ads. Oh boy. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a couple here I can't wait to talk about. Now, um, if you, yes, you, uh, wanted to get beat up at school back <laughs> oh, in the <laughs> back around the turn of the 80s into the 90s, there's one surefire way to do so, and that would be by wearing a Marvel jacket. <laughs> These are beautiful. You lie of your face. Oh so, man. <laughs> so here's a here's here's what the ad looks like. So it's a picture of a live action Spider-Man. Pooping. It says. It's a yeah, he's bent down like he's like he's uh, moving moving his stool, and uh, he's there, uh, you know, projected over a like a line art, a black and white cityscape, and it's a pretty striking image. But one thing is different: Spider-Man is wearing a shiny, shimmery, almost like a wrestling <laughs> ring jacket that Aaron Anderson would wear. Marvel jacket, complete with the you know those little cuffs that you used to get as a kid. Oh you know? yeah. They're really tight on the uh, on the wrists, the wrist cuff, and the on ones the that you would always use to wipe your nose when it was running. Yes, in the exactly. Yep. <laughs> they had the wrist cuffs. This thing is black and shimmery, and it's got the McFarland Spider-Man on the back end, like this nice yellow triangle. And like you said, this this guaranteed your ass kicking in high school. Oh, you're getting wedgies. You, this thing is getting run up a flagpole. You're getting pounded. Well, um, just imagine if you had it in white. You can get these things in black, white, and blue. For all your flashy tastes, Marvel oh. jackets, everybody. How much were these things? Uh, seventy-five freaking dollars. Seventy-five bucks. Yeah, it's a uh, seven-dollar. That's shipping. a lot of money for a jacket now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot of money now. Much less back in 1988. Um, uh, Spider-Man here says that they're the height of fashion. No. <laughs> No, they're not. <laughs> they Admit are not. it. I was that kid who always used to draw, you know, I was never what you would call a fashion plate in high school. So, I mean, I was that guy who used to wear the WWF wrestling T-shirt. So I would wear the Macho Man Randy Savage shirt or the Hulk Hogan T-shirt. You know what I mean? And, you know, people used to look at me like, what an idiot. What a tool bag. Look at that guy going around with his purple Macho Man sunglasses T-shirt on. <laughs> and then I got me. in. Yeah, and Give then me when flashbacks they... to uh, my Nickelodeon shirt back in the day. <laughs> but then I got a little bit cooler because then Dark Knight came out, and Frank Miller's Dark Knight actually had merchandise, so you could actually get Frank Miller's Batman on a T-shirt. So I had mm-hmm. several Batman shirts and a Joker T-shirt, and I thought I was cool as a cool as a cucumber, but the girls didn't because you know. Mm. Yeah, that was not exactly who they wanted to be. Chris with his, you know, 25-pound Coke bottle glasses, his hockey hockey mullet partened in the middle, and the Joker T-shirt. But only, listen, I guarantee I would have uh, I would have made the day and, you know, secured those ladies with that Marvel jacket, though. That would oh, have been the deal sure. maker right there. Now, now, would you have gotten it in black, silver, or spidey blue? I'm thinking I got to go with that black one right on that Plastic. cover, brother. Plastic. Yeah, I've got to do it. Now yep. for your for your wrestling t-shirt, you didn't happen to own like the wrestling t-shirt, that bright yellow Razor Ramon, did you? I did not. Oh. I did not. There's several ones that's like really obscure ones. Do you know that the Rebel Dick Slater had a t-shirt? Yes, I saw that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I mean it's totally, you know, you totally can't look wear homemade. it right now because oh, yeah, it's got the flag on it. Yeah. yeah. It's got the Union Jack on there, so you can't even wear that anymore. But I mean Tito Santana had a t-shirt. Mhm. 
Like Jake the Snake Roberts had a T-shirt with like him physically on the shirt. I mean, it wasn't just like Randy, you know, Randy Orton, who's got like almost this hybrid UFC, like where you don't affliction, really. Affliction, yeah. Yeah, like the yeah the affliction wear style, where you know it's a wrestling T-shirt, but you'll never know it unless you look really close. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. Now th- that jacket that cost you seventy five dollars back in nineteen eighty nine would cost you one hundred and fifty six dollars in uh, twenty twenty dollars American dollars. So what the fudge? They're out of their mind. That's a very expensive jacket. Uh, now our the- next. Oh, good. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say throw oh, to. Yes, our next ad is a poster where you can find the hate monger. <laughs> Who uses the hate monger in your advertisement? Think about uh-huh. this in 2020. Find the racist bigot amongst <laughs> all the Marvel <laughs> Universe right now. He's the, he's the guy in the middle, the little one. He's the little what? one in the middle. Wow. Who in the hell used the hate monger as their... Like, it's supposed to be... So So here's what you get. So it's a Marvel Universe poster. All the heroes are jammed Like a Where's Waldo. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's literally like a Where's Waldo. But you have to find the hate monger. Yes. Holy uh, crap. This has to be a joke. There's, I mean, come on. It's very, very weird. I'd love to see this poster full size um, and in color because the ad here, it's, I guess they were afraid of pirating even back then. They didn't want somebody to snip it out of their magazine and, and put it on a on an industrial printer or something and, and blow yeah. it up to, to life size. But uh, yeah, this thing, all it looks, it looks like a magic eye poster from the yeah, from oh, what yeah, they sure. show you here like you could press your face into it pull back and see a sailboat but it's uh <laughs> but it's I, i'd love to see this thing full-sized if uh if anybody has this uh let us know uh the the, and, and the plus, hate monger poster the, did you find the hate monger i would like a photo of the hate monger amongst all this stuff oh boy this, <laughs> that's ridiculous it's, i don't care oh boy good no that's it that's it Oh, now the the final uh, ad from this issue is uh, Stan Lee and Mobius. They do Silver Surfer together. Do you have any uh, familiarity with uh, Stan Lee and Mobius's Silver Surfer? I like I like Mobius Silver Surfer to be quite honest with you. I it's, think it's, it's pretty. Yeah, because, because Silver Surfer is one of those characters where. Um, I don't like Ron Lim's Silver Surfer. I, I just don't like it. I love I'm a fan of Busima's mm-hmm. uh, version of that character. And that's to me, that's the iconic look. And for you sure. know, Ron, Ron Lim came on board and he drew him with like this light bulb head. But yeah. then I saw Mobius draw him and he's got this like almost abstract look to him. And oh, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's very plain, very simplistic, but there's just something about it that is alien. And I think that's the yeah. entire intention. I really, really love it. Yeah, what is that? Parable is that is that Silver Surfer Parable? Yeah, Parable. Yeah, yeah. I, I oh, loved it. It's gorgeous. Two issues, wasn't it? Yeah, two issues. Two issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Ron Lim's uh, Silver Surfer always felt like an unfinished character. It felt like it was uh, just his head. Yeah. This like Ron Lim could draw the phone book and a sure. lot of his stuff that he does, but it's just something about Silver Surfer's head. It just looks like this weird light bulb, and I know it's an artistic choice, but yeah, man, just you weren't were you trying? What were you doing? It was it was differentiating from all the similarly faced bald bald uh, characters, I guess. Fair and fair. But, uh, but that is it for Strike Force Moratori. But from other Marvel books with a March 1989 cover date, and uh, these are very slim pickings because we're getting a lot of repeats. Uh, but one new one is a double ad for the <laughs> World Wrestling Federation. Two ways to lose in the ring, brother. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you you will definitely lose if you engage with either of these. This is uh, WWF WrestleMania for the Nintendo. 
Whoa. and WWF WrestleMania, the TV board game. All right, so here we go. So WrestleMania for your Nintendo. So I bought that. Now, now let's circle around. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the NES, I loved the wrestling games. I was a big fan of NES Pro Wrestling. Pro Wrestling, sure. I, I even loved WCW Wrestling, and I know that one's that one's a little bit a uh, little bit wonky. I loved Tecmo World Wrestling. I mm-hmm. loved all those games. So I couldn't wait till WWF actually put out its own wrestling game. Sure. Boy, could they not have come close or been any worse than WrestleMania. Well, holy dinga. Think about this. One of the funnest things about wrestling games is using the character and getting to do all the moves that you see in the ring, okay? Mm -hmm. How about if I told you that they put the wrestlers in the ring, you could barely go to the top rope, and you could not execute their finishing moves? Yep. Plus... In the middle of the match, you could power up and you're, you know, they would have the little icons that represents each character that would go and it would refuel your tank so you can continue wrestling and be more miserable than you were first when you started. Your your <laughs> grief extended. Oh, man, that game, that game was punishing. Now, you know oh, what? I, I played the crap out of it and I did my best to improvise and make it seem like I was, you know, actually hitting the moves. But it was it was a total failure. And that was from a claim. Yeah, I mean, these guys were just painful when it came to uh, to oh, wrestling games. Just they so were bad. print merchants, yeah. Um, I, I remember, like, the big deal about that was that you can make Bam Bam Bigelow do a cartwheel. Oh, yeah, and, you can do the cartwheel, yeah. And that's all we would try to do when we played that game. We didn't care about the game. We didn't care about the matches. It's like we got to try to fi- – there's two buttons on a damn Nintendo controller. And we were trying to figure out how to make him do his cartwheel. And uh, that was like the whole point of the game um, for us. Because, I mean, it was it was just garbage. Everything um, was everything was kick and punch. And yeah, I mean it. basic kick and punch. When I, when I, they have Ted DiBiase in there who yep. looks like a rotund little baby. And yep. he does this straight punch. And I mean straight. It's just like dink, dink, dink. It comes straight out of his body, which is the weirdest thing. Yep. And he's got a punch that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't hurt butter. Yeah. Or kick, I should say, that wouldn't hurt butter, but and, it, it was. And his character, him. his character looks like Hacksaw Jim Duggan would. It yes. Like- <laughs> oh, so so intensely bad, but nothing any worse than the WrestleMania, the VCR game. Boy, tell us about it. Holy crap! Yard sale, ten dollars. WrestleMania VHS game. You think that it would be amazing? It sucks. You can play this thing one time only, okay? One time. Mm-hmm. I'm holding up the number one. <laughs> so so basically you go around a board, and when you stop at a certain thing, you've got to activate your VCR. So you got to hit play, okay? Okay. And whatever you're seeing on the screen, screen directly relates to what you have to play. So you might have to answer a question about what you're seeing, okay? Chris. You play it once, you know exactly what the answers to all the questions are and what's coming up in the video, and the game is basically useless. So I don't know. You talk about a game with one-and-done playability. It's just as well you took the garbage bag and or just literally brought it back to the store because you were finished with it. Nobody could play this game more than once. Crazy. I, what I, a we, train wreck. We've got to find that thing online somewhere. Oh, it's, so, it's oh, almost, it's every, oh, you can, oh, you can find it. It's no problem. Oh boy, it's, yeah. It's terrible. It's basic. It's horrible. Now, the only other VCR game that I've ever had was Clue. Okay. And that was that was kind of fun because you got to reenact the scene, so you're vis- you're visibly seeing actions happen on the screen. So someone getting bludgeoned with a certain item and all that type of stuff, right? How so, many times you, could you play through that one? 
that was a little bit different mm-hmm. because uh, some some things some things represented different different cards in the game, so they mix it up a bit. But this one you could do nothing with. It was one and done. It was in the garbage or brought back to the store. You were finished. But mm. oh man! Yeah, but it had some it had some great wrestling on the V on the VHS tape though. I mean, it was you know some highlights of WrestleMania sure. and WrestleMania two and three and you know some good stuff on there. But oh, okay. the game itself, bag of dicks. <laughs> Uh, the only VCR game I ever played, uh, my cousins had a an America's Funniest Home Videos VCR game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that one was interesting in that um, it would be the same videos, of course, because you'd watch it through once. But they would be there'd be like different like different aspects of questions like you yes. play like game one and you'll watch a video and it'd be like, OK, now pause the thing. And they say like uh, it would be a question like. How many windows were on the house? You know, exactly. And, like, that's exactly. You'd have what to, it is. yeah, you'd have to point something out in the background, or, and then you play like through game B, and it would be the same scene, but it'd be like, uh, it's like, what was the punchline of the kid's joke? You know, it would be something like that. So you'd have yeah, to like that, pay that, attention to everything. You wouldn't know what was going to be called the question. That's exactly what all these VCR games were. It was just, mm. you know, you're just the tape was just a gimmick. I mean, yeah. it was really of, of really no real value other than, hey, my God, look how cool we are. We could turn on a VCR and play. But <laughs> it was one and done. It's too bad. But I would say right now with streaming services, you could really, really go to town on doing things with Do this. Do choose your own adventure deal. Yeah. Oh my God. That's it. That's our money. Choose your own adventure board game with downloadable new endings and all that type of stuff. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. I got to run. I got to run. I got to make it. <laughs> Let's make this happen. <laughs> wow. That's genius. Good for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make this happen one day, eventually. Good maybe. Lord. Uh, and, and one more thing on the NES WrestleMania game, which, uh, it's a little piece of trivia that I, I always like to uh, think about is that Nintendo of America was so like anti-religious imagery. And uh, you actually did see Hulk Hogan's crucifix bounce across the ring. That was his power up. So, wow, you know, interesting thing. You know, that's yep. you know about it. Though. That's like the most interesting thing about the game. That in the cartwheel that I could never make happen. So, but we can both agree that you were losers on both of these products. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You 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 couldn't be a bigger loser if you were wearing a Spider-Man jacket. Hey um, hey hey! I'm sure our <laughs> friend Adam would love one of those. <laughs> I wonder what color jacket Adam would like. We gotta we gotta I, take a poll. I'm thinking a, I'm thinking a white jacket for Adam. The the silver. I think he's I think yeah. he's more daring than one of us. I think he would dare to wear that white one. We'll have to ask mm-hmm. him. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But uh, I think that's it. We uh, we got through this uh, wonderful issue, cover to cover, and uh, talked about a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So uh, right. how about you take us through some plugin so we can let these folks get on with the rest of their day. All right. Well, you can find my ramblings and mindless banter over on the Twitter at Charlton underscore hero. You can find me there. Now, when I'm not dealing with uh, with craziness at work, you might find me this weekend covering payback. Hey, look at that. Mm. Yay. I I can actually cover wrestling again. So I'll be over (laughs) helping out the Rattlesham Broadcasting Network with the Podsman, which, of course, is also Chris and Chris, (laughs) Chris and Chris podcast. (laughs) So if you're into Chris and Chris related podcasts. And you can't wait for some more. Check out our wrestling coverage, which is always a good time. And oh, I will say, check out the last uh, SummerSlam episode with Mark and Chris Sheehan, because that was a fun time, guys. So I really enjoyed that one as well. So oh, that's where you can find me. So I got to go back and uh, take care of Strikers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now you can find me over at Chris's on Infinite Earths. Uh, also here. Um, um, what else? Uh at the Rattelich channel, I will be doing, uh, again, uh, we'll be doing payback together, but 
I think later that very same day, I'll be uh, going through uh, the Demon Bear story, the the comic, Yay. because because I'm not going to see the movie. Uh, with Al Sedano and Mark Radelich, we'll be talking about the Demon Bear saga. Um, awesome. Yeah, what else is coming up? Uh, only two more episodes of the Cosmic Treadmill are left. Uh, one more dirty one and one uh, final <laughs> one. Um, and I've been, you know, pleading with folks if they want to be involved with that last episode, just reach out Ace Comics on Twitter or Weird Comics History at Gmail dot com, so we can get something set up and uh, nobody gets left out. Um, but I think that's really all I've got going on. So unless you got anything else for the folks, I think, uh, we will just wish them well, thank them so, so much for hanging out with us today. And, uh, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya.